is the Blatcast. A sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. where we are talking about a Marvel movie, the latest one. And it wouldn't be one of our Marvel reaction shows without immediately in the chat, Daniel Drew patiently waiting. Woohoo! Reaction special. Good to be back. Absolutely. As always, I am Christian Blatt, joined by Mr. Jeff Williams Jr. Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back. We don't get I don't get to do this as often anymore because because of my job, but I'm glad to be talking Marvel. I'm glad to be talking something that I can talk in Marvel. But yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm glad to talk about something that was a great movie. Don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, I'm just excited. Well, yeah, we're we're about to get all the way into it. And uh you and I went and saw it uh, last week. Uh one of those uh one of those press screenings that uh, I like to pound my chest about, and it just kept not working out for you to be able to go. You came and saw Eternals, which is a movie that I that I didn't really dislike, but, you know, considering the way that it was received, I felt like I owed you a do-over, uh, you know, after Eternals. I didn't want Eternals to be the only one, so when Guardians 3 came up, I was uh, glad that you were able to come and check it out. Uh, let's uh, sort of reset the Guardians to begin with. Uh, where, how were your feelings about the first two Guardian movies? And you, you can't discount their numerous appearances in Avengers movies, Thor, Love and Thunder, and of course the Christmas special. So where were you at with the Guardians before sitting down to watch Guardians Volume 3? So I thought the first Guardians was one of the one of the better movies in the MCU. I thought it was really fun. I thought it, um, it was, I believe at the time, one of the first, like, in the galaxy movies like where we're like non on earth and everything so it was it was really cool and it and it, it threw me off that we were listening to a rocket um talk we were watching a tree talk and everything but like we grew to love those characters so quickly and it showed you the, it shows you the the greatness that is uh james gunn um cut to um guardians 2 i thought it was still good i thought it was a um a good volume two i didn't think it was as good as one but when i when we get to three i um but let me let me step back real quick um after volume two i still love the characters i just didn't think volume two was just strong i love the characters and all the different avengers um 
uh, Avengers movies, and then getting to three, I thought three was better than two. I don't. It, it was probably one. Of, it was probably my favorite out of, out of the trilogy, but it made the trilogy trilogy great and worth it. Yeah, no, I agree with uh, basically everything you said. I mean, the first Guardians was really an unknown. You knew it was going to be this this spacefaring story, and the characters that comic book fans knew as the Guardians of the Galaxy, unless they were reading sort of the the reset on the Guardians that was done basically because of the movie, they were completely different characters. You know, it's actually Sylvester Stallone's character, Yondu, and, uh, you know, that, that group, that's who I thought of as the Guardians of the Galaxy. They had a series in the early 90s, and it, it was not any of these, you know. Uh, you know, Nebula sort of showed up separately, not looking anything like she does in the movies as, a, as an Avengers villain. So getting these characters, <clears throat> excuse me, the one I knew the best was Rocket Raccoon. And uh, in the movies, he doesn't, you can't call him a raccoon. I mean, we'll get to that. But uh, so, yeah, it was uh, it was such an unknown thing. And you're right. I mean, it was like, you know, the the Avengers, it dealt with a threat from space and from beyond. And this was really the first time that we had sort of space fairing space opera added into the MCU. And uh, I preferred the first one to the second one. I prefer this one to the second one. Uh, I know people who love the second one and I'm like, well, I just wish that was me, but you know, it isn't, <laughs> but whenever they'd show up in an Avengers movie, you know, it's like, they wouldn't have that much time, but, uh, they'd, they'd get some good lines in and, uh, you know, in, since guardians two, you really, at least me personally, I've had an affinity for Mantis, you know, she has like one line in Endgame, and, you know, it's the idea that Peter and Thor should fight with knives. And I'm like, yeah, she's great. She really got to shine in the Christmas special and get to see a lot of her here. Uh, but uh, also uh, someone who is a threat from the great beyond also joining us, uh, the great David Brody. Hello, sir. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for letting me in the room. I was, I was eavesdropping. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I was enjoying the podcast. I'm like, oh, I could just sit back and enjoy this. Yeah, it was uh, it was very it was it was very Dickensian, you know, you sort of you were there with your your street popper friends kind of looking in the the window of the restaurant. And uh, I was going to have you shoot away. But then I'm like, no, no, you know what? We'll let him in. Uh, we had uh, just started talking, David, about kind of where we were with the Guardians and how much we've you know enjoyed their story from the first film through the Avengers films. So sitting down to watch the third film, I'll ask you the same question I asked Jeff. What were your thoughts as you were about to sit down and watch this movie? Well, I was excited for it, but I, I was trying to remember what happened in Guardians 2. It was so long ago. I felt like uh, the way Mandalorian went on Book of Boba Fett and did a whole story there. And then when Mandalorian 3 started, you didn't know what was going on unless you watched Boba Fett. Sure, I had to try yeah. to remember everything they did in the Avengers movies and the Christmas special and Thor to, to kind of bring me back. I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't he have these conversations with Gamora? I feel like he's already tried with her. Uh, so I thought that would, it would progress past that, but it seemed to go back and start again with wrong Gamora uh, and have to reset that for those that didn't follow along with all the other movies. But I, I, I expected a lot of death based on a lot of YouTubers and a lot of reviews yeah a lot of crying and reviewers crying that my daughter sent me a picture. Uh, she had gone to see it yesterday morning and it was just mascara running down her face. And she said, 
because she's up in college and she said, oh, it's the greatest Marvel movie ever. And she was just tearing up. And I was like, oh my God, who died? <laughs> now, you know, nobody. Can we? We're spoiling it, right? Nobody died. Yeah. So that's what I was about to say. Is we're uh, we're in the the area where we're going to start spoiling it. We wanted to have a, a couple of moments, you know, maybe where we we weren't uh, delving so far into that. But uh, this is a, a spoiler filled zone at this point. I'll put an admonition. <clears throat> excuse me on the screen but uh yeah we are definitely uh talking about all of it here so i even put it up on the screen look at that everyone so yeah so now we can kind of talk about it and yes it's uh some just wonderfully selective editing for the trailer for this because there is a lot of characters crying there is impending doom there is tragedy that uh, seems afoot um and uh, that is kind of the the biggest surprise is where we end up at the end of it. And again, for anybody hopping in right now, we are going to talk about all the spoilers for Guardians Volume 3. Uh, so uh, with with the, the spoiler curtain lifted, what were you specifically going to say, David? Um, well, just like you said about the trailer, there's a scene where they're, where they're carrying Star-Lord. There's a scene where Gamora's carrying Rocket. There's a scene where Star-Lord is screaming, ah, you know, like you saw somebody die. And then, and then there's a scene where they're they're helping um, Drax because he's been shot in the chest. They they yeah. certainly made it look like it's the end. And then James Gunn's doing interviews saying, "I don't kill characters for no reason. If I kill them, it's for a good reason. It's to move the yeah. story along. Yeah. I hate doing it." And I'm thinking, all right, he already killed Gamora, right? He already killed Groot, so he's got no problem killing people. Now Groot's yeah. back, sort of. It's not the same Groot. Gamora's back's not the same Gamora. So they could technically kill anyone and just, you know, multiverse them back. But nobody died. I I thought I thought uh, Star-Lord's head was going to explode. Like when he started puffing up, I said, okay, yeah. he's going to explode. Then you'll know he's dead and he can't come back. But he didn't explode. And he's he didn't die. So, I mean, I'm relieved, yeah. but, you know. No, and I, I think it's uh, kind of not what I expected because you just kind of had a feeling of – Certain actors, you know, having possibly gotten to be too expensive. One of the things I talked to Jeff about when we saw it was that this idea that, you know, Dave Bautista has been pretty upfront about how he doesn't want to play Drax anymore. So it just seemed to be the most logical thing is that uh, he would die. And there were moments where he certainly could have. There were moments where pretty much everyone could have died, in all honesty. Uh, so I don't know. I thought that was really surprising. So, uh, Jeff, your, your thoughts on that, that, uh, we didn't get the kind of loss that I think we were prepared for, for this movie. Yeah. I was just like everybody said, I was going in expecting some type of death, if not multiple deaths. And when I was watching it, I, I wouldn't say I was disappointed, but when I was like, okay, he, and he lived again and like, they all made it through and Every part was believable, but I just, I don't know if I would have, I'm kind of indifferent about it. I, I can see if people are upset that there weren't deaths, but I definitely came in thinking that there were. But every moment I was still, I still thought there were still big stakes. I still thought there were big moments. There were still big deaths. I mean, there were still big um events, but no one died. So, I mean, I'm not really upset about it. I guess that's where I'm at. One thing I did want to say, uh, one one of my friends um, has, has not seen it. He asked me 
and um, just how other people are thinking about it. He's like, how many people died? And he was talking about, did Rocket <laughs> die? And I was like, because I guess in the com- he told me this in the comics when Rocket um, goes to attack the, um, I'm, I was going to call him Grand Superior. What is, what is his the, name? The High Evolutionary. The high Evolutionary. I was way yeah. off. The High Evolutionary. <laughs> when in the comics he goes and attacks the High Evolutionary, he actually dies in, um, in that attack. So I was just I was just smiling and just not saying anything because I didn't want to ruin it. And when he said how many people died, I said, I'm not telling you anything because obviously I can't say zero because that's an, that's an obvious number. Yeah, no. And it's also like you can be like, well, you know, look, there are there are a lot of creatures that die in this film. I'm uh, just not going to tell you how many oh, of them are Guardians of the Galaxy, you know. But uh, yeah, it really is is fairly surprising our pal daniel drew in the chat i actually thought warlock was going to kill drax in that first fight i wouldn't have minded like to make him seem like a big threat taking out their muscle team member uh yeah and that would have been at the very beginning of the movie and that is one of the things i was wondering considering how powerful adam warlock is in the comics uh i'm surprised actually that uh, he didn't kill anybody but uh you know it's it's one of those things where from a storytelling standpoint you would have respected it. it you would have felt all the things especially characters whose deaths are set up and you feel like are unfolding on screen and then you kind of pull back at the last minute and you have to wonder is was james gunn kind of told you can't actually kill anybody because i know you're done this is kevin feige speaking obviously uh but uh just because you mm. don't want to make a guardians volume four doesn't mean i don't want to and you know we'll talk about the end credit scene they clearly have more plans did you get that feeling after you saw David that uh, maybe uh, there are some higher ups that are like, we're keeping the brand going. We're keeping the band going. Even if, uh, even if we're losing our front man in the way of James Gunn. Oh, I turned to my wife after the movie and I said, obviously he was told he can't kill anybody Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you could have easily killed Drax. The guy's not coming back. Gamora said she's not coming back. Now they can maybe bribe her into coming back, but Drax was pretty pretty uh forceful he doesn't want to do those kind of movies anymore yeah so kill him right but they yeah. didn't uh i you know I, I don't know if i would have wanted him in response to the, the the guy who just chimed in i wouldn't have killed him that early in the movie i think yeah. he showed he was powerful by besting drax that he didn't need to kill him plus if if you know anything about adam warlock you know he's powerful yeah no but the fact that he was his his egg timer went off too early and wasn't fully cooked maybe yeah. kept him from being uh a little more, uh, you know, potent, but you know. yeah, I almost feel like that story point is for people who expect him to be as powerful as he is in the comics. Uh, and in terms of Peter Quill's seeming demise, Dominicus Saxon points out good thing. Peter's only half human. Otherwise he would have been a goner. Uh, yeah, that's a good reason to think about what something that might've saved him. You know, the simple fact that, you know, his, well, his dad's a planet or was a planet when he was still around. So, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, I was, I saw it uh, for the second time this morning. I went with my wife who hadn't seen it uh, when Jeff and I saw it last week. And I knew everything that was coming. And I knew that nobody dies. None of our guardians die. But that doesn't make, at least for me, you know, Rocket seeing Lila and uh some of the, you know that one in particular you're just like oh my gosh it's like yeah come fly with us and then you know and then there's the that it's a beautiful scene and then it's has to well actually but not yet you can't go just yet and 
you know, I mean, Peter has this moment where it's it's so tragic if he dies because he went back to get his stupid Zune. You know, that would have it would have been very on brand for that character. That <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, he uh, if if he hadn't taken that extra split second, uh, he would have had enough time to jump jump across. And then he even comes up with like an ingenious way to get himself to the other side, and then he uh, hits some space junk. Which you know, Jeff, that's what that's the worst thing when you have a, a you you engineer some kind of uh, logic and uh, you know physics defying rescue for yourself, and then space junk gets in the way, right, Jeff? Don't you hate when that happens? It's the worst. I, it happens almost <laughs> every Tuesday night, but I'm glad it's Friday. <laughs> um, no, I uh, for Peter Quill. I, I was kind of surprised, especially with the with the um, last post credit scene saying that he was coming back. Yeah. Out of anybody, I mean, other than Drax, I thought he was. I thought he was gone. I thought he was gonna. His head was gonna explode. I thought that would be a kind of a better end to his story than than saying he he's gonna return. I thought I'm like I kind of wish that was Adam Warlock's sign. Adam Warlock would return so he can kind of get a better redemption, not a redemption story, but just a more developed story because we know we know everything about Peter Quill. What more do we need in that sense or what story is he really going to leave? Oh. Well, it's obvious he's going to get an iPod in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? With with music from 2010, he's got to experience all the new stuff. We have sure. to watch him with an iPhone. Or an Android, preferably, but, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. And it, it's, I don't know. And, like, a lot of times these feelings, these expectations are shaped by the real world. And, you know, Chris Pratt has uh, certainly come a long way from when he did the first Guardians in terms of, you know, what he can expect to be paid for his work. And, you know, I, I think that uh, it would have been natural for him you know, to go back to earth and, you know, even if he wasn't dead, just go back to earth, but you don't need to, I think that's why you have to tell us that he's coming back. Cause we're like, really? I, I did not see that coming. I did not expect that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not disappointed because I like all these characters. I'm just surprised. I think that, uh, you know, it, the, the the trailer just made it all seem so emotional the way people were talking about this movie and you know like i said i found it to be very emotional myself you know just a lot of the things some of the the interactions the expectations even knowing that no one died like i said especially like you know rockets scene uh i thought was really well done um so i think that uh It'll be very interesting, and we'll kind of talk about that uh, in the end of this part of the conversation about, you know, what we actually think is going to be next. But uh, to something that Jeff touched on, I think I'm not hearing this because, you know, the movie has only really been out as we're talking right now. It's only come out yesterday. But I do wonder if people are going to feel like Adam Warlock they didn't do enough with him. And it's it, 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 the expectation of like, well, what is next for him? You know, he is going to be someone that can compete with the upcoming big bad that we know will be Kang. Not 100% sure on who's going to be playing Kang, but we do know that Kang will be our villain. And, you know, he's sort of that level of character. And I think having him not be as as powered as as he ought to be, you know, knowing him from the comics, 
and the fact that they really played on the fact that he was a little slow. I thought that those uh, those interactions with Nathan Fillion's character, uh, both of them were actually pretty funny. Um, were you disappointed, David, I'll ask you, about the portrayal of Adam Warlock, or did you feel like they kind of tempered it enough by saying, like you said earlier, that uh, they, they pulled him out of the oven a little early? Well, I thought it was enough. I thought there was eight Guardians, and I, I, you know, I, I wanted to focus on the Guardians. I think he played enough of a role as the, you know, the bad guy when he needed him to be a bad guy, and then he was a hero at the end. He got his arc. He could have done a lot more. I'd like to see him with longer hair and a, and a red and yellow uh, outfit, you know, Jim sure, Stalin yeah. style. But yeah. uh, it was enough for me as far as seeing him. Yes, I think he should be on the Ms. Marvel or Captain, excuse me, Captain Marvel level uh, and fighting the big bads. And if he's going to be a guardian, I'm sure the guardian is going to get called up to fight Kang at some point. So maybe we'll see him all out, you know, in his longer hair by the time we see him again, you know, when he has time for it to grow. Uh, now, I, I think I saw enough of him, to be honest. Just enough. I'm not. I'm not yeah. disappointed. Yeah. No. I definitely agree that uh, they at least addressed it. You know, they they didn't. Uh, sometimes it's that simple. Just let us know you thought about something that we might have as a question about uh, why people are behaving that way. So obviously, Jeff, I don't know that Adam Warlock would have been somebody you're familiar with. Did you found him to be an interesting enough character though that you're like, okay, well, what's next for him? Let's see more. I mean, the way that the movie ends. He is a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so he's out there, you know, getting into all kinds of, uh, well, mischief, one would assume. So uh, did, what did you think of the character getting to meet him for the first time? Um, I think I think he's funny and likable enough because you to uh, I mean, because we see that he's like half baked in the sense that he's still young. He's still naive. He's still relatable in that sense. But he's ultra strong. So we're. So my my sense is like I'm I'm excited to see what's next for him once he starts to realize what he can do, who the big players are in the world, how can he help the Avengers? I hope they don't do something in the same vein what they do with Captain Marvel, where they're they have they show us someone that's super strong and then they he disappears for a while because Captain Marvel just came um came at the end of Avengers Endgame rather than being a part of the actual fight. So I want to see more of him. I want him to be more developed. Even if it's more of a naive version, I want to see him more developed in the story-wise uh, with the rest of the characters in the MCU, not just the Guardians, in this new group Guardians too, because I feel like we need him, not the whole ragtag crew when we're already going to be talking about other MCU characters. Yeah, and... Uh... In the chat earlier, our friend uh, Daniel Drew mentioned that he went to something that I was interested in, but uh, I did not have the time to devote to. He went to one of those showings where they did a, the marathon of all three Guardians movies, and uh, I wanted to show something that uh, he posted. I believe this is something that's available at AMC mm. Theaters, but he got this uh, Rocket Raccoon uh, popcorn tin, which is uh, very, very handsome, I would say. I showed it to my wife and I was like, don't worry, I'm not going to try and buy it because, uh, you know, we have enough of these sort of things, but, uh, good for you, Daniel. It's uh, pretty amazing in all honesty. And, uh, you know, great choice and character to put with it, obviously, uh, rocket himself. Um, let's kind of go through some of the uh, characters that we get uh, along the way. I think that, uh, we should certainly talk about uh, the guardians themselves 
And, you know, when we popped in, when you popped in, David, I was in the middle of talking about, you know, how quickly Mantis has really kind of grown on myself, but just in general, because it's we give her more screen time. And, you know, she's this great foil for Drax, but she's this big hearted, but also very funny character, uh, very quick to, you know, yell at someone, but, uh, you know, all in a, a well-meaning way. What did you think about really expanding Mantis in this film, which I think started in earnest in the Christmas special? Well, before I, yes, absolutely. Before I answer that, can you, can you see this? I don't know if that's clear enough. Can you see that? Uh, it's, there's a little bit of a glare on it, but uh, let, let, let me, let me see if I can get closer. That oh, is yeah. that is the $30 Groot popcorn that I bought last night because my daughter has to have everything. Can you see that? It's brown. <laughs> I see it now. It's, a, it's not it's showing up. It's, brown. It's, it's light brown. It's like a tan color. Oh, the light God. is blurring it, but that's that's cool. Yeah. So that, that was $30. So thank you. I feel like the that. rocket tin was probably also $30. So I know, feel like I'd rather have the rocket tin and not not rocket tin, <laughs> but rocket tin, the rocket tin yeah yeah so that was uh that was cinemark i don't know where the uh, rocket tin came from but if my daughter finds out about that we know the 30 dollars out of my pocket um, yeah. i I, yeah. I love mantis i think making her star lord's sister giving her a persona not just the tag along uh definitely the christmas special set her up you know definitely put her gave her more of a, a character compassion sometimes the voice of reason they made her uh cyrano de bergerac in the movie where she was given Drax lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I think this was a, a good movie to give everyone more of a role. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about what they did with Drax's character. And yeah, absolutely. you know, they gave everybody a, a time to shine. And I, I definitely think that Mantis has been stepping up in the last couple of uh, things that the guardians have been in to the point where maybe she can be in something else. She's going off to explore. So does she get a Disney show? Does she show up in somebody else's show? Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe she shows up in the Marvels and we don't know it yet. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's the interesting thing about the way her story ends is because, yeah, I, I don't I don't see that character anchoring her own movie, but uh, certainly a Disney show, possibly a Disney special Disney movie and Disney. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Disney Plus, uh, but uh, yeah, also ending up with other characters and obviously spacefaring stories like the Marvels. Uh, but uh, Jeff, I want to give you a moment to uh, speak a little bit about uh, Mantis as well. And uh, uh, always good to give credit to Palm Clementif, who is the actress who portrays Mantis for us. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with what you guys are saying. I, I thought at the beginning her role was very similar to Drax and just very naive, say a couple funny lines, but she just blended in. With the with the evolution of the holiday episode and this movie in particular, not really too. I can't really remember volume two that much. I don't. I didn't think it was amazing. But either way, with with those two epi- uh, volumes right here, with the um, with the holiday and volume three, I think we really got to see a lot of growth. You got to see her kind of come into her own, like you guys mentioned. There's a op- there's opportunities for her to go into other films and. And I, I really enjoyed it. I like her standing up for uh, um, for herself because it kind of moved. It, it, yeah, it, it made her stand out in a movie that was already packed with eight people or eight people in the Guardians plus a plethora of other characters and animals and all the other things. What she did in those moments really stood out. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, 
you had so many characters to begin with, really. You know, I mean, we cared a lot about these characters, but they were able to really wrap her in a good way. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Craglin has sort of limited time, but he makes it count sort of, you know, the way that James Gunn had figured out a great way to have Mantis and Drax play off each other. Craglin and Cosmo are a great pair because, you know, either one of them on their own, especially Cosmo being a dog, you know, there it's there's less to figure out what to do with them. And then when you put them together and just sort of the runner through the movie that uh, she just like a dog would, would want you to take back calling her a bad dog. I thought was great. And you know, he gets a moment to shine. So he has a redemption arc as well. Craglin I'm talking about, and he redeems himself with, uh, with Cosmo as well. Uh, so yeah, let's talk. We've uh, alluded to it before we talked about Drax and sort of, it ties directly into uh, Manta, sort of just this realization, this revelation to him when, uh, you know, they're just talking about him in front of him. It's like, we, yeah, we know he's stupid. And he just looks and he's like, you think I'm stupid? And it's very smart because Mantis is like, forget. And she's like, yeah, you know what? That was too much. But the idea that he's, he's like, he's stupid, but he, he loves us. And, you know, there's there's different kinds of stupid, you know, there's he's got no book smarts. And then yet I thought it's a it's a great moment, Jeff, that uh, well, he speaks that language that all those children spoke. Jump, jump. And it's such a great response to Nebula where it's like, why didn't you tell us? He's like, Why didn't you ask? <laughs> you know, I was like, well, because, you know, we think you're stupid. But uh, give us your thoughts on uh, Drax in this movie, you know, who does not die. But there's a couple of times especially when they're, you know, trying to get the information on rocket, the, you know, the, the, the code that they're trying to get when he gets shot in the front and then shot again in the back. Those are two times where you're like, well, he looks like he could be gone, but they're like, nah, he's okay. So uh, give us your thoughts on Drax, Jeff. Yeah. I, I love Drax. I'm, and I'm biased because I, Batista was around in my heyday of, of WWE. So that's when I heard that Drax was going to be part of the MCU, it was, probably one of the biggest days for me and seeing how he he um just evolved in this role even by still playing the the dumb friend the the naive um um big dummy in the role he still grew in almost uh, yeah he still grew in almost every episode and every volume and with this one you got to see him kind of take control like I, i know what you guys are saying and then even um even more so where he was just hiding his talents because he doesn't need to he doesn't need to boast himself up. He doesn't need to tell everybody what he knows. He can be a hero when he needs to be. And also he knows a lot more than what he's telling. So that opens uh, his story up to a lot more. And just like um, Nebula, just like um, all the different Guardians, you can kind of walk. You can kind of see them jumping into another movie, getting their own Disney Plus show, whatever it may be, because the story doesn't end for them. Although. Batista says he wants to um, be a, a more serious actor and not show his chest every episode, every volume. So we might not see Drax unless he's in a t-shirt. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, Dwayne Johnson could maybe take a page from uh, from Batista at some point and be like, you know what? It's OK. You can wear a shirt once in a while. It, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, David, uh, similar thoughts on Drax. I'm uh, kind of interested in your take on him in this movie, you know, and, and what we're assuming, even though he doesn't die, that we're assuming this is the last time we're going to see him. Well, you still had classic Drax. You still had knocking down the door, punching people. We're going to kill someone when he's like, we'll kill a bunch of people. Okay, we'll just kill one guy nobody likes. 
Like he was still funny, <laughs> but yeah. he also spoke that language and he danced and he had, he was a father figure and he tried to emote to star Lord and, and, and you know, the, the, I mean, the, the uh, analogies and metaphors thing was hilarious. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. He's stupid, but he has a heart, you know, he kept messing up. He left the ship. He wasn't supposed to leave the ship. So there was still classic Drax, but they, they, they didn't, in other words, they didn't make him soft. They didn't just suddenly make him a mushy guy who didn't want to hurt anybody, right? Nobody wants to see that. We want to see you hurt people, but we also want to see the other side of you. So I, I liked the balance that they gave him. Uh, I thought it was a good mix of the behind the seat, the real Drax, right? But also old school Drax who wants to just, you know, he's not the Incredible Hulk, right? He's not going to just like, it's Hulk smash. He's funny too, but he was also sensitive. And I think his arc where he gets to take care of the kids or probably adopt a couple of them. I liked it a lot. I, I thought that was a good way for him to go out. Yeah, no, I, I definitely sort of like the approach and I thought the interaction with he and Peter is kind of a, a very strong character moment because of the fact that as you uh, eloquently referred to Mantis, it, you know, plays Cyrano de Bergerac with him and gives him all this great stuff to say. And Peter's like, yeah, I think people underestimate Drax but I, he's not capable of this level of, of thought and comparison and all that. So, you know, that's why there's the nice moment where he sees Mantis. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. But he's just like, you know, it's, it's easy to summarize it and say, yeah, Drax is stupid, but that's why to me, it really, it was like more of like a, a book smart thing that maybe he doesn't have. And he's very literal. And that's why the character is so funny from the first time we meet him in the first one. And uh, I think that, uh, the bringing back this notion, you know, that uh, when we, we meet him, he's this like, you know, grieving father, you know, and uh, sort of the parental nature of him. And yes, as we said, and as our pal Ivan Soto says, it is nice that he finally comes around and does dance in the film, you know, uh, because early in the movie, he does point out that dancing is for idiots, which is something that I may have felt a few times in my life, but uh, yeah. you know, we don't need to, don't need to dwell on that. And I, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, his arc is very well done and, you know, were we not to see him again, I think they left it in a very satisfying place. But if he does come back, it's going to probably be pretty funny. You know, there'll probably be a great reason. And uh, I guess I guess it's it's easier to know that he's out there and maybe happier helping out and building this new society from all of these uh, these kids who were really refugees of uh, the high evolutionary who, you know, we'll of course uh, speak about in a moment. I think one of the characters who has had the most growth from when we first met her is Nebula. And she really started to, you know, be seen differently. I would say the biggest difference was really infinity war and into Endgame. You know, I mean, that's when she started kind of, being friends with our heroes instead of, you know, really just trying to kill everyone, you know, kill her sister and anybody who's standing in a, you know, 20 mile radius of her sister, if she needs to. So, uh, you know, and then the, I know it's in the trailer, but that moment when uh, Gamora says, you know, it sounds more like you're talking about her and just sort of the way that Peter looks at her. It's still a very, I've, I've seen the movie twice now and I'd seen that in the trailer, you know, a dozen times. It's still very funny. You know, I never, never realized how black your eyes were, you know, 
And uh, I think that uh, even where she's at in the beginning of the film to the end of the film, you know, I mean, Mantis points out she's always angry at everyone, you know, and she's she smiles at the end. She dances a little bit, you know, and I think that uh, it's a nice way you can see that James Gunn really felt strongly about I want to kind of have left my mark on these characters. I want to leave them in a good place. Somebody, you know, if. Taika Waititi comes in and does a Guardians Volume 3. That's up to him to mess it up in any way he wants to. Whoever they might want to bring in. Yeah, I meant four. Thank you, uh, David. Yeah, Guardians Either four. way, don't do it. Yeah, But yeah, the idea that, look, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't a, 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 some follow-up of Guardians in some way, but maybe they'll just pop up in you know Avengers films. And uh, I, I think that would probably be fine with me too. But I, what's that? They could just do an Adam Warlock film and then yeah, that's true. break off from the Guardians. They do their own thing. Yeah. And then he, we actually get to see him become the superhero a lot of people wanted. Right. I, I think so. I think that uh, that is a character that we're probably uh, be very likely to see a lot more of and not necessarily in the context of the Guardians. But with Nebula, it's it's really such a, a complicated and just tragically sad character. You know, I mean, as she's watching the the recording of of the high evolutionary, basically engineering rocket, she's like, this is worse than anything that Thanos did to me, you know. And, uh, you know, Karen Gillan does a fantastic job as this character under so much prosthetics. I mean, she's this this lovely, fresh face ginger lady from the UK. You know, she's beloved on Doctor Who. And then it's like, yeah, you're going to have to shave your head and uh, be blue uh, for kind of a decade, which is insane. But uh, I wanted to get your thoughts first, David, on the evolution of Nebula, you know, as we've known the character, but also really throughout the course of this film in particular. I'm not sure if I liked her better hating her. Like, that's how good she is. Yeah. Where I enjoyed hating her, and now I enjoy liking her, and and I don't know which character I like better. You know, I, I as a villain, as as the lackey of Thanos, hating Gamora, I really enjoyed her. I thought she was, you know, clearly a tortured soul who didn't love her father, but did she was trying to get his respect, uh, and I I I thought she was a great foil for Gamora. And then that brief period where Gamora's cool and she's cool, that was fine. But this iteration of her, and I, I all, all props to the actress uh, who plays her, Karen, right? Karen Gillan, yeah. Karen Gillan, she's fantastic. I, I'm, by the way, if she does shave her head, her hair grows back incredibly fast, and I need to know what yeah. she's using. Because right, and, uh, and for our visual audience, I have that a an wig? image of her. Uh, no, that this is her first appearance on Doctor Who, uh, so more oh, than okay. a decade ago. That's okay, her real yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah, and uh, oh, yeah, 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 so. Yeah, so, uh, but uh, she has worn wigs in the time that she has done this character for sure. Uh, okay, yeah. That's one of them, yeah. But no, I, I think she's great. I think, uh, yeah, the thing about Rocket, like she, it was that, that moment where you go, okay, I have it bad, but he has it worse. And I remember, I, get, I just, I'll tell you a quick story. It reminded me of it. It's nothing to do with Marvel, but um, I was a counselor at a camp, at Ronald McDonald House camp with kids with cancer. And um, I, I also am a, I'm a childhood survivor, but that's not really part of the story. It's, that's why I volunteered. And I'm walking up this, the camp has a giant hill going to the lake. And I had twisted my ankle and two people are like, um, 
know you have your arms around two people they carry you up the hill right yeah a girl who had lost her leg to cancer one leg goes hopping by me up the hill and i realized as bad as i have it right now where i can't walk on my ankle look what this girl is accomplishing she's hopping up the hill past me and i got (laughs) that i got that feeling for a minute not you know not to bring you guys down but i got that feeling like wow Okay, I've been living with this anger, this angst in my life, and and the the uh, the downtrodden feeling like oh, what I'm going through, and when you realize someone else has it worse and they're dealing and they look what they've accomplished, that's what I felt like. I felt like she looked at him and was like, "Wow, he went through worse than I did, and yet look how he is, right? Look what a great fun, you know, person to be around, a raccoon to be around," and and I think that was the turning point for her, because she said, "You know what?" I am angry. Mantis is right. I've lived with anger and, and all this pent up frustration. And this guy had it worse. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. So maybe I can have a better outlook. And that's, that's what I took from that. Having have a similar experience. Yeah. And uh, Ivan Soto kind of uh, piggybacks on that. And he points out, you know, Nebula's reaction to finding out that rocket being okay is a very sweet moment. And I think it's also a very important character moment because nowhere near as serious but she's so dismissive early on because you know cosmo's like did you hear that he called me a bad dog and she's just like i don't care you know it's like i don't care about anybody else's pain and that's only you know like an hour and a half earlier so but it's it's nice to see that yes she cares about uh these these characters i was gonna say these people but again he's a raccoon Uh, so it it, I, i agree she was such a great character to hate but i think that's what made her interesting that she evolved in this way. What are your thoughts on Nebula, Jeff? Yeah, I, I love Nebula in this in this uh, volume. I thought she had a lot of growth. And I honestly felt like Gamora and Nebula kind of switched roles, especially in this volume, because Nebula, um, yeah, Nebula w- became more of the friend of the group. She's obviously helping out. She, she was obviously strong and was a warrior type. But Gamora was the one that was, not really, not really there by, not by, I mean, she wasn't there because she wanted to be there. She was there by force. So they kind of switched roles in that sense. And I really enjoyed her. And throughout the whole, uh, the whole volume, I thought this, mo- this movie, she, she really grew the most. And then also you, you kind of mentioned it at the, at the top. I, I enjoyed her so much in this movie because of how much I learned in infinity, in infinity wars because I got to see her background, because I got to see her struggle. I was like, okay, you see so much growth over these last couple movies. Now I'm happy that she's part of the crew and everything. And um, Gamora's character, it just, the you saw all this growth in the first couple movies and then just go straight back and get a refresh and now it's a new character. And I, like, like David said earlier, you kind of play on the same jokes that you mentioned in the prior movies. There was no, there was no evolution, or not, I don't think evolution is the right word. There's no growth in that storyline either. So it, where I love, where I love Nebula's storyline and growth, Gamora's, I do not. Yeah, I think it's, it's tough because that's an external set of circumstances. It's a story that James Gunn didn't tell that took Gamora off the table for him. So there's this other Gamora that you have who's not the same and it is kind of interesting and i think that it is nice that 
you know, Peter mentions what you did always want a home. You're not at home with the Reavers, but then we actually, the last shot of her in the movie, she is at home with the Reavers. So it's like, even this Gamora, as Peter points out, even this version of you isn't all bad. Uh, although it is nice that he calls her a dick earlier. I thought that was, that's a, that's a good laugh right there. But ultimately, obviously this is Rocket's movie and the amount of time spent on his backstory it might be one of the the rare moments where you're like okay the, the, it might have lagged a little bit i was very interested in it both times i saw it but uh, i think that uh, that was something that uh, my wife might have uh, felt like there was a little bit more than than needed to you know make a movie like closer to two and a half hours when maybe it didn't need to be but the there's no denying just how well they have been able to make us care about these CGI characters to make us care about a talking raccoon, to make us care about a tree who only says one sentence uh, until the end, you know, and you know, you just, you kind of look at some of the visuals of the guardians, you know, and, and there's so much of it where you're like, how were they able to take this idea, these characters that, you know, nobody really thinks about, you know, and somehow make them this this team, this group of characters that we all care about so much that there's emotion about that, you know, Rocket and, and his friends from Batch 89, you know, Lila and Floor and Teefs, you know, that we have all this stuff going on. And it's like, it's, it's a, a huge accomplishment to me anyway, to be able to pull that off and really make us care about everybody, uh, you know? I mean, so Rocket, in and of himself, as a character, I can't believe that uh, they are able to get so much emotion behind his story, make us care about him so much. You know, when we first meet him, it's Bradley Cooper doing a funny voice, but he's so much more than that. And just the tragic backstory, you know? I mean, even like it's pointed out in the chat and we said it a few moments ago, even Nebula's like, wow, he had it bad. You know, every part of my body has basically been, you know, replaced and refined by my abusive father. And this raccoon had it worse than I did. Uh, so I think that uh, it's it's such a great story. I think that there is so much tragedy literally on the table. If they risk everything to save him and then they're not able to save them, which is what it looks like was about to happen. Uh, but I think it's great that this character is still around. Clearly we'll see more of him. You know, I mean, he's the, he's one of the CGI characters, uh, you know, he's the lead, he's the captain of the guardians going forward. So we're going to see a lot more of him. And I don't know. I just feel like, he is one of the most impressive things about this franchise that they built up this character and we care about him in the way we do. What do you think about rocket just sort of being the focus in this Jeff? Yeah. I mean, you, you said it, you said it perfectly. I, I love rocket raccoon. You, you get to see his growth over to so many different movies. So, um, and for him to be the focal point in this, it was great to see you. And we saw him, in so many different movies, we saw him lead, saw him be in different roles, but we still didn't know his backstory. And now he, and now he's officially Rocket Raccoon, which is just great to see. And to your earlier point, where um, James Gunn has put so many different creatures, animals, things in front of us, and we were just expected to imagine that they're real. 
whether it's a tree, whether it's a rocket, a raccoon, whether it's a squirrel. We were literally watching a squirrel and a raccoon hug in a in an astral plane, like where where they were think they're about to be dead. So it was that's the only part where I was like, wow, we're actually watching this and we have feelings about this. James Gunn is doing something right. So it was it was really cool to see. I mean, you cared about all the people in his storyline, in his in his um, backstory, and that's a that's a credit to the director. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for a visual audience, I'm I'm sharing the the common poster for Volume Three, and you know, in the front row, you do have an astronaut, well, cosmonaut dog. You have a tree. You have a raccoon. You have a green lady, you have a bald blue lady, you have, you know, you have all, you have a bug, you have a bug chick, you know, you have all of these crazy things. And it's like, you know, it's, it's even more impressive than things that have gone before. You know, the fact that Star Wars made you care about a walking carpet and, uh, you know, a, a beeping ashtray, basically. Uh, so sort of the same point, David, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Rocket, sort of what we get from him in this movie, but obviously how important everything leading up to this movie was for us to care about him in this way. From the first movie, I fell in love with him. I thought his attitude when they were in prison, you know, he's like, let's kick some ass. He didn't, you know, I don't care. Let's just destroy people. I loved his attitude. Yeah. But this movie made me care about him. Right. He wasn't just because he's a cartoon. He's like, he's like basically a cartoon, Right. He's a cartoon stuck in a movie. You're like, well, that's a fun character. That's a fun cartoon that they stick in. I know it's CGI, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like Roger Rabbit, right? There's humans and there's, you're like, oh, he's fun. He's funny. But this movie, you cared about, you started to believe he's a person or, or like a, a sentient being, not just a dumb raccoon that happens to be able to talk. He's yeah. actually brilliant. Uh, so brilliant that the high evolutionary hated him for being that brilliant. And you see the torment and the explanation for why he's so gruff. And how long has it been? Nine years, 10 years, right? Since the first movie. And yeah. I, I remember seeing the trailer for Guardians and they're in the, in the lineup, you know, and like, who? and and he does the thing with the thing. Star-Lord does the, right? The rod and reel with uh, the, the finger. The middle finger, yeah, yeah. Right. And I, when I grew up, the Guardians of the Galaxy was other people, right? It was other characters. And so yeah, I, I was, was talking earlier that uh, when when I was a when I was a comic book reader, an avid comic book reader in the early '90s, it was basically uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, uh, Starhawk, Yondu, yeah. uh, Charlie X, and it's a whole different group characters that sort of get cameos in this, but it's not any of these characters. Yeah, uh, as the Guardians. Yeah, yeah, and so I'm like, there's a raccoon in the Guardians now. What? There's a tree. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I I was I was law as someone who's a big Marvel fan. I was still a little lost because I had who I who would have thought they would make a movie about the Guardians of the Galaxy. There's such an afterthought in comic books, and so I'm like, all right, I'll I'll do some research. I'll Google it. You know, see because I remember Starhawk and Yondu and all the originals. And yeah, like, yeah, what's going on? And to take it now, where I'm like, oh my god, please don't die, Raccoon. Please don't yeah. die. And you know, when when the the scene when he's reaching into the cage and you see the little ro you know rocket when he's the He's in his eyes and are so big and he's scared. It, I mean, James Gunn, man, I, I, I love him. He made me like Suicide Squad. So, 
It's a great point. He made he made me like John Cena. So, you know, (laughs) I didn't know if that was possible. And yeah, look, uh, we'll we'll have uh, future conversations about all of this. Uh, uh, I do want to touch on a couple more things before. uh, Yeah, I want to get to Groot, if you don't mind. Yeah, I want to talk about Groot as well. But I do want to touch for a moment on the fact that, you know, I referenced it, you know, Rocket, this CGI character. And uh, in the chat, people are pointing out that Lila's an otter. So thank you. And uh, voiced by Linda Cardellini, who uh, is also Hawkeye's wife in the MCU. She plays Hawkeye's wife. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's interesting, you know, because I didn't pick up on it the first time I saw the movie and I had to like, I read the credits. I'm like, okay, who is she? So we have these characters, the, uh, we have Tiefs, we have uh, Lila and we have Floor and they're such whacked out crazy characters but it's like we care about them as well but to david's point we also care about groot we care about the talking tree who only says i am groot uh so uh yeah please david give us your thoughts on groot well i wanted to start uh, a controversy here there's a there's a lot of people debating when he says i love you guys because if you remember when he walks up behind gamora at the end of the movie he says, I am Groot. And she says, yeah, it was a pleasure working with you too or something. Where she yeah. they seemed to understand what he was saying. And yeah. so the question is, that seems to be going around the internet. Mm. Did he learn how to say, I love you guys? Or did we under- learn how to understand Groot? That w- That's what we heard. The so same way being great, around him gives you the, the language. That's a great question because my wife was surprised that they didn't react to it. And uh, my thought was, which I hadn't thought about it until she pointed Look at it Jeff. out. Look at Jeff. Yeah. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's oh mind is blown. God. For yep. those of you that are just listening, you're just, uh, you're, you, you can hear the explosion. If I was smart, I would add an explosion in, in, in post, but the idea that they don't react to it. I'm like, well, because they're used to hearing him talk. So if he did speak, it wouldn't seem any different to them. And that might just be for us. But also, he may not have actually said that. That is the mind-blowing thing. So thank you for that, uh, David Brody, because that's that's something I'm probably going to ask everyone that I talk to about the movie now. So David has planted the seed, and uh, I will try to have a tally at the uh, end of this collection of conversation to see what people think, because uh, you've convinced me now that he actually only said, I am Groot. But we're part of the family now, so we understand yeah. it. And the fact so that no if, one no one reacted that you pointed out is is yeah. what really puts me over the top. They didn't react. They so, didn't go, oh, my God, he speaks English. Yeah. So, Jeff, if you can get the brain pieces, if you can stuff your medulla oblongata back into your ear and process this, which one do you think it is now? Do you think that he didn't actually say that? And we were just able to hear it the way they do? Or do you think that they didn't notice because they're so used to understanding him? You know, I'm just, you know what? I'm so glad it was Vin Diesel because we're all part of the family now. Just just family. like Fast and the Furious. It's all about it's the It's all about family. It's all about family. the family. And we're part of family now because I for sure thought he just knew it. He just learned English. I was like, oh, look at Groot learning English. But when you said that no one responds, it's a wrap. I, to your point, I'm I'm also going to ask my friend that I'm watching the movie with tomorrow. The first thing I'm going to say is, so do you think Groot spoke English or do we speak Groot? Because I'm going with we spoke Groot. And that just makes yeah. me even more excited to uh, to see it. And it was funny, though, because when he was saying I am Groot, I was starting to understand what he meant because of how other people reacted. So you kind of just yeah. 
Right. Exactly. The context clues into it. And then now it's like, you know exactly what he's going to say, because if we do see him again, hopefully we'll be still speaking group. Right. And uh, Daniel Drew seems to agree with this. And Daniel Drew seems to be my authority on so many things, but he thinks being around Groot uh, and being someone he trusts has finally made us, the audience, able to understand him. So now the audience is indeed family, as we'll see in Fast X in a few short weeks. It is indeed all about family with the Guardians as well. Uh, there's, There's a lot of other ground to cover in future conversations. Uh, I do want to give each of you a chance to comment on uh, an actor who I'm always very hesitant to say his name. He was also great uh, in Peacemaker. I believe it's Chuck Woody Awuji. And if it's not, my apologies, but he played the high evolutionary who it's very tough to be that kind of unhinged, you know, maniacal unreasonable character who freaks out but i think he played it really well and i was kind of watching it for the second time with that in mind uh what did you think of the high evolutionary jeff i thought i thought his role was great i thought he played it perfectly how crazy he was how like um not crazy and well crazy as in villainous but also crazy as in sporadic crazy as in if you don't see my way, I'm just going to kill you and just be, and just be it one, one track mind in that sense. Even though I said sporadic earlier, you, you kind of get what I meant. Um, sure, absolutely. He's um, he played the, he played that role very well. And I was excited to see him once I saw Peacemaker as well, but it's, it's funny because when I saw his, when I saw him in Comic-Con and he did that whole spiel walking around doing the whole monologue and stuff, it was very quiet. A lot of people were like, "What's going on?" They didn't really see. They didn't really see the concept that what um, that what eventually came the high evolutionary in the film. And when I tell you that face makeup to make a face peeled off, that was great. It was great CGI, like uh, visual effects, because like yeah. I loved, it. I loved it. I thought he played it well, and I thought it visually looked great. Yeah. Uh, same question for you, David. Uh, the the high evolutionary uh, in this film. When he's crawling around the cells on his hands and knees, yeah, uh, you just you got such an impression of what kind of disturbed, twisted man he is. And I, I tell you, at, at one point in the movie, I thought to myself, I like him better than Kang. I thought he was a much better villain than than Kang was. I loved He Who Remains, uh, unrelated. Sure. Um, I thought, you know, Kang was sort of. I'm a bad guy, but I'm better than those guys. And, I, I, you know, you don't know how bad those guys are. And you don't really know, was he evil? I'm not sure if he's evil. He's bad, but is he still pretty good? This guy's evil. This guy yeah. is is just a mental case. And uh, there was no there was no ambiguity there. He's a None. twisted, you know, uh, Nazi kind of a leader where he's looking for the master race. And I, I, I enjoyed that character better than Kang in, in the Ant-Man movie. I thought he right. was fantastic. And, and I mean, he's a character who we see, he feels like the counter earth hasn't gone the way he wanted to. So he's just going to blow it up. And it's almost like star Lord pointing out that he saw like the drug deal happen. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I got to get rid of it. It's like, he was planning on it, but he's like, you know what? I got to do it right now. Actually. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like for, if this idiot can notice how bad this is, I'm going to have to do away with it. Um, I want to make sure to uh, give the two of you a chance to touch on a few different aspects of the film Uh, in a future 
part of this conversation, we're going to spend some more time on the music, but I wanted to ask you each individually first, if there's any inclusion of, of a piece of music, maybe you didn't know coming in, were surprised by, or maybe you even knew from the trailer, uh, you know, there's a, it's a lot of late, late era stuff, uh, David. So uh, there, there may have even been some songs that you remember for uh, the, the many years you worked at Z100 in New York. There might have been some of those songs that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this was in rotation. You know, uh, what uh, what are some of the things that stood out for you or if there's just one in particular that uh, that really stands out for well, our audience? I knew every song, so it was not about sure. having worked in radio. But as I was pointing to the logo of my Brooklyn Boys podcast, you may may or may not know I'm a Brooklyn native. Yeah. So legally, I have to like the Beastie Boys, and it's so true. When No Sleep Till Brooklyn was the th- was the song in the in the really great hallway scene. Uh, that was a win win for me because I was in the recliner chair with my feet tapping, you know, and I was trying <laughs> not to, to, to do the rap part along with the group, and yeah. You know, so for me, that was that was great. I love James Gunn's music. I love what he did in Peacemaker. Agreed. I love his song choices. So for me, No Sleep Till Brooklyn stood out, but the whole soundtrack is great. Um, you know, I couldn't help but like hum- humming along in the theater, but like making sure the guy next to me didn't hear me doing it. So no, I yeah. loved it all, but that was my favorite that scene. But you never know; he could have been the lead singer of Space Hog, and he would have appreciated it. He's like, "Thank you, thanks for knowing our song." Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but what about you, Jeff? In terms of if there's one that comes out, you don't have to keep yourself limited to one. But in terms of the musical selection, was there something that just really jumped out at you? So um, it's been, it's not, I'm not going to lie, it's been a couple days since we since we watched it, yeah. like a, a little over a week. So I can't remember exactly which songs, oh, but I remember thoroughly liking the, the um, soundtrack. Like from the, it, it from fits, the jump, yeah. from, yeah. from the beginning of the movie, like you knew he put his stamp on it in every different situation. Once, um, once Peter Quill or Rocket started playing it, it set the mood for the whole scene. So I, I enjoyed it. A lot of them, um, I try to pull up the the soundtrack uh, track list, but a lot of them are kind of um, music I haven't listened to. A, a, a lot of them are songs you, you need Del to Rey. you need to like you need to get like the 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 Amazon or iTunes like sample of ten seconds. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, of course I know that song because exactly. a lot of them don't stand out by the title. Uh, I do agree with David about no sleep till Brooklyn. That is a scene that probably I should have been annoyed by because he's got the one like earbud dangling out of his, his ear, but he always had the headphones, you know, when he still had the Walkman. So I'm like, it's consistent. It should bother me, but it worked so well. It's uh, it's got such great riffs uh, for me. And I, I expect that I'll repeat this in future parts of the conversation. Uh, I am a huge fan of Alice Cooper. That is the first concert I ever saw in 1990. There is a song from him, yep. uh, which it's like a traditional old song, uh, Always Chasing Rainbows, from his 1976 album, Go to Hell. It is a deep cut of the deepest order. I mean, it's a it's an album track. It's it's It wasn't even a B-side for a single. When that comes on, I have a, I have a friend who, uh, when he went to go see it, uh, he told me he was like, he wanted to like give stand up and raise his fist in the, in the movie theater. He was so excited to hear that song because it's, it's just so rare. It fits really well. It's nice that Gamora kind of turns it up. It's that song when, you know, she's there on the ship by herself and she's like, okay, maybe this music that's pumped through the ship all the time isn't all bad. And so that just sort of blew my mind. But, uh, obviously, 
the you know it, it's the main song in the trailers it's the first one we get uh that rainbow uh since you've been gone it's uh just you know he always seems to have those songs that you're like oh yeah i've heard that at some point but you don't think of you know whereas uh thor love and thunder has some of the laziest music selection that i had ever heard in my life so many guns and roses songs the most common guns and roses songs uh, I, you know, James Gunn, it's the opposite of that. Uh, before we say goodbye for this chapter of our chat, is there anything else uh, that comes to mind? I'll ask you first, David, anything else that you want to chime in on? Yeah, about I got Guardians two 3? quick things. Yeah. When he went back for the Zune, yeah. it reminded me of the scene in uh, Indiana Jones, last crusade. When the guy goes back for the chalice for the Holy grail. Yeah. And that's what kills him. Right. And, it, and then he tells, uh, when was it? Um, he tells Indy, let it go. Like, let the cup yeah. go. Like, he went right. back for that. It seemed like a trope to me that he was going to die over the Zune. But that's yeah. what it reminded me of, that going back for that. If he didn't go back, oh, he would have lived, which is really why I thought they were going to kill him. I thought the Zune yeah. is the way to go. Die like the Zune did. A horrible death. I mean, that, that that basically was his holy grail. Not literally the Zune, yeah. but the music was the holy grail for Peter. So it, it would have been fitting. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing is, I don't know if you noticed in the in the first of the two relatively disappointing bonus scenes. Yeah. Um, well, the second one, did you catch the um, Kevin Bacon uh, joke? Oh yeah. The newspaper that his right, Kevin grandfather's Bacon. holding. He, yeah. He talks about being abducted by aliens. Yes. But that was funny. Yeah. In the first one, when they show the new guardians, the yeah. little girl who was the one, she was the one running in a circle around the, uh, yeah. the track. And uh, Ivan Soto has uh, uh, had, that's uh, what I was going to say. File of yeah. Right. Yeah. So Philovel in the comics becomes Quasar. She's the second Quasar, but I guess in, in Marvel, she'll be the first Quasar. And yeah. then at some point in, in the comics, she also becomes Captain Marvel. So I, I wouldn't oh, be surprised if somehow she ends up in the Marvels as well. Um, maybe there's a that crossover would, or a cameo of that some would kind. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was a character that I wasn't familiar with, but, uh, you know, uh, looked into after the fact. And uh, I think it's a, it's a nice inclusion. And uh, also you know, interesting that, you know, their conversation on music, she's highlighting Britney Spears and corn because, mm -hmm. you know, we see rocket physically switch to the two thousands. So it's like, that's probably all she hears, you know, around nowhere, uh, at that point. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about it. I think just getting to see the guardians going forward, uh, good to know whether there's a guardians four or not. I, I am, hundred percent sure we'll see those characters again uh, as they exist there, but maybe also some of the ones we said goodbye to. And yes. And then last thing, Jeff, I'm sorry to I mean, uh, cut you off. Uh, last thing was when he's talking about the neighbor's kid and he's like, yeah. Oh, the 40 year old kid can't mow the lawn. That's yeah, not yeah. a throwaway. That's not a throwaway. Somebody's living next door. That's going to play an important role. I have to believe. Yeah. That, okay. Uh, I thought you were going to tell me who you thought it was. And I was like, yeah, well, I had that thought too, but I was like, there's just something I don't know. Well, so. Some of the theories I've seen, because I, I follow a lot of YouTubers, uh, new rock stars and uh, Screen Crush. Um, uh, the theory is that either the grandfather had another kid um, ah. or that that Ego may have had another kid. But in the comics, yeah, yeah. there's a, he's got another sibling uh, from his mother's side, right. I guess, or a cousin and who becomes a superhero. So I forget who it was, but that 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 they think that's who they're referencing is another relative of his that's going to be a hero because they wouldn't have mentioned the neighbor's no, they adult have. child 
and, for no reason. Uh, but I, you know, who it's could very be, distracting know. the product placement for Magic Spoon, a brand of cereal that oh. people mostly just know from podcasts. Yes, and it's like seven fifty a box. Uh, Terrible. I, I like I like a couple of the flavors, but uh, really? only because okay. I would get four of them uh, sent to me regularly when they inter, uh, when they were advertisers on the Dennis Miller option. Jeff, I want to give you the last word before we share our clips and say goodbye. Is there anything just? overall feelings anything that you didn't get a chance to touch on or just how you're feeling about the guardians uh a week out from seeing it and it sounds like you're about to go see it again yeah i'm just um one thing that i don't think we touched on enough is cosmo and i just loved i love that addition to the to the film even in the little parts that he was in it i felt like it was great you got to see his power and and the comedy of him wanting to be him or her because it kind of, I couldn't tell just the, uh, right. It's a female voice, yeah. but it, okay. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, so the I dog may be female. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, and Maria Bakalova, who people who saw the second Borat, which was only on Amazon Prime, uh, she's so funny in that. And uh, she's, you know, very talented. Yeah, obviously, just voice acting here, but uh, also really well done. And uh, Ivan Soto feels very strongly that Cosmo's a girl, which sounds about right. But, you know, the voice could have just been female. But, yeah, I, I think that the Cosmo is a, a very nice touch, a nice addition, and fits in really well uh, with this uh, wacky cast of characters. And, you know, look, I, uh, I'm glad that uh, we add in characters like this. And we got to see Howard the Duck yet again, mm-hmm. once again voiced by Seth Green, you know, toying with us that maybe one day we'll get some more Howard the Duck. And if people want to continue talking to David Brody and hearing what he's up to, where do they go to do that? You could find me at David Brody on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter, no longer with a blue check mark, but Instagram, I still have one. Brooklyn Boys, I assume, can be found everywhere podcasts are found, right? Everywhere podcasts are found, but if you listen on the iHeartRadio app, there's a little microphone button and you can talk back and leave us a message. So if people want to see videos of uh, Jeff looking at real estate that he can't afford in and around Los Angeles, where might they go to look for that? At Jeff Will Jr. on all the social media platforms. I was never cool, ha- cool enough to have a check mark. Still don't. But, you know, still follow me anyways. That's all the time for this part of our conversation. We'll be back with more Guardians talk. <laughs> conversation on guardians of the galaxy volume three still christian blatt and joined by the one and only nate miller nate thanks for uh, being on with us today of course thanks for having me and of course similarly showing off his mcdonald's happy meal toys is the one and only uh off 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 broadway superstar soon to appear in little shop of horrors in burbank the one, the only, Count Eric Connor. Hello, one and all, but we are on victory. We might be off Broadway, but we are on but victory. But you're on victory. That's a great <laughs> point. Which is the Broadway of Burbank, I would argue. You know, I've been saying that for a long time. You know, <laughs> we, there's there's the, the rock and roll Ralphs on Sunset, and uh, the the Broadway Ralphs is the one on, on victory and at Buena Vista. But 
that's not what we're here to talk about. Believe it or not, we're here to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, the uh, James Gunn's last entry in the Guardian story, at least. And uh, I don't I don't actually know what either of these gentlemen have uh, thought of this film. I like to keep it fresh for the air and learned from Regis Philbin. Save it for the air. But uh, Nate, overall thoughts uh, about this film, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, it was great. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought I had a really good balance of heart and comedy and action and stuff. Um, it was very emotional um, in some sad tearjerker ways, but also in some feel good ways. Uh, and it really felt like the second movie is not my favorite movie. Um, whereas like guardians one, I think really changed the MCU uh, is a fantastic movie. And I think this really captures the spirit of that first one and brings everybody to a really nice, satisfying end. Um, so, yeah, I liked it a lot. My only complaint is that it, it felt a little bit long. Um, but also because the ending felt very satisfactory or satisfying, like, I feel like it, I don't know, it, the length is not too much of a, of a, of a worry. It was worth right. it. The there's a movie that feels a little too long and then there's james cameron or Zack snyder long you know there's different kinds yeah. of movies feeling long and each of these guardians movies uh notched 15 minutes extra onto the previous one the first guardians wow. was two hours and one minute the second was 216 and i believe this was 231 so each time james gunn's like let me squeeze a little bit in there and uh i have uh, long had similar feelings about guardians 2 as you did nate but just last night, I watched it for the first time since I saw it in the theater. And while I'm still surprised the people who say they love the second one as much as the first, I don't see that. I think I appreciate it more having now seen the third one and also had, you know, five more years of Guardians Adventures. Uh, I think that uh, it, it's better than I remembered, which is, you know, that's as, as, not the most ringing endorsement, but it's a, it's a nice stepping stone for kind of all the characters for where they end up. And it's just, it's interesting to think about the hypothetical. What if these three movies were able to be told these three stories were able to be told in a vacuum that didn't involve the Avengers and didn't involve infinity war. Obviously you have two characters who are adopted daughters of Thanos. You can't really do it, but I just sort of wonder if the guardians had had self-contained like a self-contained trilogy uh, where it would have gone. Uh, but uh, I agree that the the first and the third one are are very much spiritually in line with each other, and uh, this one definitely sort of recaptured the fun and the excitement of the first one. Mr. Connor, what did you think of Guardians Volume Three? Yeah, I, this one I thought was a real nice step up from the previous MCU films. I think James Gunn. I mean. It, you know, in the middle of all the chaos of this film and, you know, some of it drags, some of it, you know, like pops off the screen. But he'll have these moments like when they're arguing about which button to hit and it's like three minutes of almost like Abbott and Costello like wordplay. And no one else would dare do that in these movies. And yet somehow he does it and makes it work. You know, the uh, I am Groot, I am Groot, I am Groot last time with the button, like which one sets off the bomb. Like, somehow in his hands, like, I, I, I hope Superman 
has a trace of that humor. I, I probably I mean, wouldn't work with as much as they show in Guardians, but I feel like he, as a storyteller, has such a nice light touch um, that he brings, you know, he, a little tug in cheek, a little bit of a nudge and a wink, but it tends to work. And yeah, this movie actually did have a fair amount of heart. Maybe sometimes a little much on the sort of, you know, I mean, I, I see Nate's dog is hanging out on his nap, his lap, and, uh, you know, mine's just off camera at all times, ready to bark. And, you know, like, yeah, if you put animals in peril, we're going to feel stuff. But yet at the same time, when the emotions or, or, or even your <laughs> the toys that we stole from our own children, you know, um, but in the end of it all, like, it still got me emotionally, you know, more than once. The stuff with Gamora and Peter Quill, I thought was really, really special. And I mean, I think DC's in very good hands for at least a little while with uh, what he brings to them. So Marvel was foolish to treat him the way they did because they lost a real talent who I think is going to maybe save the DC universe while he's leaving the MC one. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, they did rehire him. But uh, I know what you're saying. You know, the the fact that Once he bitten, was ever able, to, yeah, the fact that he was ever able to get away and you know just dip yeah. his toe in in DC, uh, it's uh, you know it's definitely uh, a rare miss. But at least they are able to get this story uh, in there. You know, in terms of the emotions, I think it's an interesting point. Because uh, I I saw the film twice uh, a week apart, and I remembered very well what was happening. And somehow, even knowing what the end result was and how it's not as tragic at tragic as it might seem in the moment, it still was very moving and very emotional. Just because of the way that it was so well done, there. I, I don't. I like these characters, so I don't want to say that I'm disappointed. In an earlier conversation, we were talking about this. I'm not disappointed that none of these characters died. I'm just surprised that it happened. And I think it would have put a little bit more weight on it. I didn't want them all to die, but I think the one that I always go back to is Drax because Bautista has been very upfront about not wanting to be this character anymore. I think I was shocked about that end credit scene that we're going to get more out of star Lord. I just figured, you know, Chris Pratt's going to move on. You know, he uh, allegedly has done his last Jurassic movie. So, you know, I just kind of God, expected. So. <laughs> well, there's that, too. But uh, so I, I think that uh, it, it, you know, that it, it kind of took away from it a little bit because there are these really emotional potential death scenes. And the idea that Star-Lord could have died running back for his Zoom, Zoom, almost saving himself and just, you know, bumping into some space junk. Uh, it, it's also infuriating that the one time that this guy who has a magic helmet that can go over his face, the one time he doesn't have it is the time where he could have died in space. But uh, I, 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 I don't know. I kind of wonder, was there a mandate from Feige that was uh, you tell the story you want, None of them can die. I don't care who you were planning on killing. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Were you surprised at all, Nate? Uh, that's my first question for you. Did you think, even in the moment as we were watching, like, oh, okay, maybe Rocket actually, you know, to have almost gone through all of that to almost save Rocket, if he then died on the table, that would have been like, 
oh man that's a bummer <laughs> you know <laughs> i was muted no there's no uh there's no world uh with a disney owned marvel where that happens um yeah as as impactful as that would be i don't know i was not after when i was reading about the movie after i saw it i was reading a lot of people talking about how they were surprised that like nobody died they expected a bunch of people to die i didn't really go into the movie thinking that um and i think all of the character endings that they got were very satisfying for their arcs and i don't really see where them dying would have made the story any better um so yeah i was i was happy with it um i I will say i was surprised to see that star lord was like gonna uh return with that stinger at the end um and i'm not sure i'm curious what they're gonna do with him even though to be honest i am i don't care i he was the least interesting part of this movie for me the only part that was remotely good with him was him um and the so the scenes with him and Gamora uh, towards the end of the film, when he's like actually completing his uh, arc character change, those were good. But for most of the movie, like I, this movie was about Rocket and Nebula, and then with you know Drax and Mantis supporting them, and like Star Lord just happens to be there as he pines away over Gamora still. Yeah, no, I know. It's not uh, the character that you're necessarily the most excited with. It's intriguing that uh, they would continue his story. Uh, And uh, Dominicus Saxon points out, I saw a morning showing. There were not many people, but a couple were audibly choking back sobs in places. And these are Idaho people. It takes a lot to make them cry. So that uh, tells us something. Ghost 8386. I enjoyed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, I I had fun with uh, Quantumania. I think that uh, I enjoyed this movie more than the last few. I'm not as down on the last few Marvel movies as some people are. Uh, I like Doctor Strange. I like Quantumania, uh, but uh, I uh, I I don't I don't feel like I need to I, I I don't need to defend Love and Thunder, but I didn't hate it because it was like I don't know what I what anybody expects from a fourth movie. We've talked about that a lot. Um, I, I didn't hate it. I just hated the musical selection, especially when you contrast it to a film like this. But uh, Eric, in terms of some of the uh, on-screen emotions, the actual tears on the screen, and uh, possibly cheers—well, uh, cheers and tears uh, in the old TV guide, te- cheers and jeers uh, in the audience. Uh, what are your thoughts on the emotions of Guardians Three? Uh, the deep tracks they never are far from your from your tongue christian and the, the and, I, and and it makes me appreciate you even more deeply because of that uh, you know I, I was thinking back to like the first movie when uh the, the moment that really just cement i mean i i enjoyed all of the first film but that moment at the end when uh rocket sitting there with just a little piece of groot and uh and then um, Drax goes over and just sort of pets him. And I, I just remember, like, I having so much feeling for that moment. I'm like, wow, like, I'm sitting here getting a little, little misty-eyed for a CG raccoon that talks and, you know, swears and whatnot, getting pet by, you know, Dave Bautista, <laughs> you know, and and I totally bought it and and i think that's what's so impressive in this even the stuff that you know with the animal torture m- m- might be a bit much but 
um, beautiful voice work from Linda Cardellini as yeah. the uh, what was it? she's a not, not bad Lila. Um, yeah Lila. she's an yeah. she's an otter yes otter thank you yeah, yeah. like and, and it's interesting right because she's already in the Marvel universe but yeah right I mean, she, she also plays so Hawkeye's wife yeah and and really even like all four of them. Like, I was like, my God, like, I really care about the four of them. And that's, that's, I mean, how you pull that off, that's James Gunn's real talent is he makes us care about the things you would never imagine you would actually buy into much less care about. Right. I mean, I think that uh, it's, it's, there's, there's uh, a couple of parts to that, you know, one of them is the fact that these Guardians characters that you have, when you look at them, you think about the fact that yeah, you know, obviously the their ranks have expanded, but you know, you have you have a bug girl, you have a, a talking astronaut dog, you have a raccoon, you know, and you have a giant tree, and then you have a, a bunch of aliens, and you know, a half robot woman, you know. I mean, you have these characters, and you're like, how did they possibly make us care so much about them? And then wrap into that the fact that the scenes with rocket and his friends, you know, teeths and floor. And you're just like, just imagine reading a description of that. I don't know, 10 years ago. And you're like, well, that sounds stupid. You know, you're just like, and it's arguably the, the most emotional stuff in the film, you know, is, is really getting to see those characters and just the simple idea that it, it is good to have friends. And uh, what's not good is to uh, watch them all get massacred right in front of you. And just the, the viciousness with which Ra uh, Rocket rips off the high evolutionary's face. And, you know, seeing that at the end of the movie, just his, his handiwork. I mean, I, I was talking about this on uh, our friend Andy Smith's show the other day. It's like I haven't seen that kind of, you know, prosthetics for fans of the Hannibal Lecter universe. There's a character named Mason Verger. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's kind of a very similar thing. Half his face is gone because I, I believe it was Hannibal who, um, you know, bit half of it off. But in any case, or it was Wild Pigs, I actually forget which one. You know, they both factor into that story. But the point is, it's like they're dealing with this whole spectrum of emotions, you know. Uh, you know, just sad and the violence. And I, I find it interesting because I've, I've read more than one person, uh, some who I've known very well, that were very upset by some of the, the treatment of the animals uh, on screen. And uh, I, I think that it's a great way to tell that story because I don't think that they showed too much. I mean, the sounds of, you know, we get to hear rocket basically being created and that's one of the most powerful moments in the movie where nebula's watching and she's like this is worse than what thanos did to me yeah and character that we established cut her eyes out and replaced them uh, in addition to a number of other things and i was just like oh, i think that it, it's a it's a strong statement it's a powerful statement and I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, people who are upset by it, I don't think it's accidental, you know, because obviously somebody like the high evolutionary is a truly, you know, just terrible sort of person. You know, he's willing to destroy a planet when he's like, oh, yeah, whoopsie, that didn't really go the way I thought it would. 
and just so reactionary that in the moment, basically Star-Lord's like, yeah, I saw that drug deal. And that's when he's like, yeah, obviously I need to blow up the planet. Like he was going to do it anyway. He's like, yeah, you're right. I need to do it right now. Thanks for making the point. But uh, someone who's never come on here and blown up a planet is our friend, Caitlin Cornell. Kate, you thank sure? you. The last time I checked, you you okay. hadn't, but uh, oh, I, could I absolutely, think someone's checking. I could absolutely be wrong. Uh, Nate, I wanted to kind of let you weigh into, you know, having a trilogy with these established characters and obviously their appearances in multiple MCU films. That's the only way that you can get us to care about the fact that a talking raccoon might have died in this movie. And I don't know. I just, I feel like it's a, it's a pretty strong accomplishment. What are your thoughts about making us care about these characters in a way that maybe even in the first movie you wouldn't have imagined was possible? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's the, it's that amount of time, you know, I said every, extra 15 minutes he's added every movie and, and and it helps too that some of these characters have been you know there's the christmas special there's the avengers movies like there's the thor stuff like we at this point in time we've seen these characters for many years um and especially someone like nebula who just so drastically has changed um the, the characters feel a lot more uh real and relatable than like um i think what happens in a lot of I won't say MCU specifically, but like superhero genres. Sure. Um, the one thing I will say though is with Rocket, I think he did use a little bit of a cheat code because that scene with the little baby raccoons and the eyes, like I, if you can find someone who is not emotionally invested in Rocket after that scene, we should keep very close tabs on them because <laughs> that is a cheat code. It's not fair. Um, they're very cute and I, knowing what was going to happen immediately got very upset, <laughs> um, yeah. but that, that using, using that, um, connection that we have with them and, and especially having the, the plot device of a uh, rocket being sick through, you know, 95% of the movie, um, and, and seeing everyone, how they react and what they have to do to try to save their friend. Like that's a really cool way to visually show the bond that they built like over time. Um, but really, like like I said before, I, I just I love the ending of this so much, not only just from a movie perspective, but a trilogy perspective, like having Nebula have a place, a home to build up, like having Rocket lead the team. Finally, him saying like claiming the name of Raccoon after like reading the thing and, you know, crying about being called a raccoon like for years. It was just it was very, very satisfying. And yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely was more invested in the characters in this movie than I was in like the second movie for sure. Um, right. And I think that, uh, I mean, it, it is a full five years since that second movie and it's not like we haven't had them in our lives since then, as you were saying, you know, I mean, and some of the most important character moments, especially for, you know, the original Gamora and for Peter happen in movies that aren't these Guardians movies. You know, I mean, that that's really an infinity war. Uh, Kate, sort of talking about the emotions for these characters and just kind of overall thoughts uh, about what you were thinking as you were watching this and uh, and some of the emotions that perhaps uh, went, went through you as you were watching Guardians 3. So I watched it twice. I wasn't as emotional as I expected to be the first time I watched it, but I was the second time. And I don't know if it's, I'm because just going to interrupt because I actually said the same thing. I was I, that somehow I was more emotional the second time and I can't quite put my finger on why that was. 
what I will say about this movie is I think it's the best example that they have that MCU has done. And especially since it's the same writer and the same director, he definitely had an end game in mind. And he definitely had a like, this is what I where I want to take these characters and where I want to what I want to explore with these characters. So the the emotional endings for all of these characters or the emotional conclusions for all these characters felt really balanced. I didn't feel like any character was left out. Um, I felt like if they didn't get as much of an emotional focus, it was because we had gotten them in the last movie. But every character kind of like at the end of that, when I need to talk to everybody and you had everybody's conclusion of what they needed to do, it felt like the story and the characters going through the story through all three movies made emotional sense. So it didn't feel like anything was like ending. It just felt like their journeys were just beginning to kind of figure out who they were. And we just weren't going to see all of them. And the characters that did have a conclusion, like Drax, it's like, I don't want to be just, I don't need to be a destroyer. You need to be a dad. And that was taken from you. And Nebula, who needs to grow a family, it's like, we don't need to see that, but we know that that's the conclusion. And the characters that are like, I'm not finished yet. They get to go off and do their own thing without the guardians. So in a way, like the guardians was, became the crutch of them learning how to be a family and then learning that they needed to find their own family and learn who they were. Rocket's the big one, obviously. And I like how they kept the, by doing it entirely and almost entirely in flashback or having that video of what the high evolutionary did, it kept his character of, I don't talk about stuff. Yeah. But the last words he had in Guardians 2 was understanding where Yondu was coming from. And of course, that was the kind of torch pass to his emotional journey in this one. And then you see the kind of mask, like, what does it take to be, a, what does a, a man mean or what does it mean to be a man? Um, which is almost, I think, one of the thesis statements that Jim, James Gunn is working with, with all of his male characters kind of come to a conclusion um, throughout the second one and the third one. So yes, a lot of people were like, oh, the second one wasn't as good as the third one, but it's like the second one kind of set up where the third one was going emotionally. Like Quill passing the torch of leadership to Rocket would not have been as powerful without the fights in the second movie and without the kind of like bombastic, like, you know, I can fly the ship better than you and I can be a better leader than you. And I'm better. like, it was the kind of concession of you are, the better leader and and i want to pass it to you because i'm not ready and i need to go do some things first right yeah that's actually what i was saying earlier is that uh i had uh i had rewatched the second one last night and i hadn't seen it in five years since i it's saw it in the theater and uh there's a lot more to it uh it's you know if, if i'm ranking the three of them it's still my least favorite and i think that middle movie is uh, it's it's always tough you know i mean it's a lot of time. It's a lot of setup. You know, I, I, I know, I know it's sacrilege, but uh, my, okay. my least favorite in the original star Wars trilogy is empire strikes back because it's all set up and no payoff. And I know it's not a very popular opinion and it's fine. Um, it is uh, much more accurate <laughs> when we talk about back to the future, that second back to the future. You're like, uh, you, I'm like, you're kidding me. You know, you, what, <laughs> what I, the, we, we at no I, point I, did we ever know that he couldn't be called chicken before. You know, there's like so much things that, that are just like, well, we're setting up the third movie. You know, I do have to say, though, we talk, we're talking a lot about the guys, but the writing of the women in this movie was so spectacular. And it's some of the best female character writing that Marvel has done in their entire cinematic canon. Because 
you have this the 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 new Gamora that's not the new Gamora but like you know she's gone off in her own journey and it's completely character driven and when a Nebula who's now taken on this role as I want to be kind of a nurturer and a protector like taking care of of Quill the way she does and and going the we don't kill anyone which is what, what Gamora was saying when she was in the Guardians yeah and how how they solve problems and the kind of ferocity in which they solve problems um, while still being humorous and while still the humor comes from the fact that they're, they all disagree on how to do stuff, um, which is family oriented comedy. It's like they took a sitcom and just went. Um, but when Gamora fights back against what Quill wants her to be, and it's like, what are you so afraid of that? I need to be something for you was one of the most yeah, powerful but- lines I think has been said by a female character in a superhero movie ever. And it can't be ignored. And if people who want to dive into the use of a Mary Sue or the use of female characters to build up male characters in these types of movies, that was them fighting back against that trope. And it really sets up where Gamora, that Gamora is able to come to these conclusions on her own without anybody helping her. That she's go- she goes through his stuff and finds the picture and go and and because she's now stuck on this journey with them, she accesses those parts of herself that Quill fell in love with because they're always a part of her. It's just her right. connection to Quill isn't there that he wants to happen, and he and, needs to find a way to not be as connected to her. And, and so when she it's... turns to him on the planet and says, "I don't think we were in love." Yeah, there's a part of me in the movie that going, girl, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. Well, I, I I do like that she amends it after they spend more time together, and she's like, I bet I bet we were fun. Which it's yeah, not negating that comment. It's like, no. yeah, I bet I bet we had fun. Uh, but I like that this Gamora, you know, we know our original Gamora, we know the end of her arc, but that Peter even tells her that you don't fit in with the ravagers, you know, you're, you know, you're not one of them. Well, we see the moment at the pretty much at the end of the movie where actually she does fit in and they're, they're so glad that she's home. And it's like, you're always looking for a family. It's like, look, she found it. She just didn't find it with all of you, which I think is uh, you know, it's a good choice. I think the worst thing that could have happened was for this Gamora to suddenly also be like head over heels with uh, in uh, in yeah. love with Peter Quill when any of that that we ever had happened off screen between really you know you start to see it in Guardians 2 but I believe because I, I was talking about this earlier I had looked it up I think that for the narrative there's four years between Guardians 2 and Infinity War. And I don't mean release date. I mean, story time. Story and it's like, yeah, there's a lot that happened in there, I think, you know, and you're not going to be able to rush that into even a two and a half hour movie. And I'm glad they didn't, you know, um, I, I think that, uh, I think that what we were saying earlier is all of these characters, they really did a good job uh, balancing out where they ended up uh, from the first movie. And in Gamora's case, you know, she's not exactly the same character, but, she is she's the same person just plucked out of the timeline at a different point uh was there anything that you felt nate was uh was lacking for any of the main characters you know anything that uh you thought that maybe we were going to get anything that you felt like oh they didn't hit the kind of the right note there 
I, I mean, I, I don't actually have anything, so it's not really like a loaded question. I'm just curious and I'm kind of asking everybody uh, if there's anything that you felt like didn't quite work for you personally. Um, honestly, may, maybe the Adam Warlock stuff, sure. uh, that felt very like, oh, I set this up. I have to kind of make this pay off kind of a thing. And I think it worked out very well. He was used very creatively. Um, it added to some of the emotional themes, um, as well as, you know, gave them a nice super powered, big, strong guy to help them fight, you know? Um, but other than that, like, I feel really, really happy with, with, like, Kate said it perfectly, like, this is, especially this one is essentially like an ensemble film, and yeah. it felt yeah. like everybody got really great time, like, even Cosmo, like, got Cosmo a lot was of my great favorite. lines, like, it was excellent. Yeah, the, the, um, yeah, the was, bad dog runner yeah. throughout the the bad dog running throughout the movie, and it was like a great way to really bring Craglin into the movie a little bit more. Yep, was yeah. you had that, and it's like pairing up Drax and Mantis, which obviously we saw a little bit in Volume Two, but that's the majority of the Christmas special, and. You know, I think James Gunn is very good at figuring out which of his characters work well together. He definitely saw that throughout the first season of Peacemaker mm -hmm. as well. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all of that. I think I was talking about this uh, just the other day that Adam Warlock, I think they needed to kind of have him dialed down from like the 11 that the character could be at to like a three or four because he's too powerful. It's like it's like Carol Danvers. She's too powerful mm. to just drop in into the wrong story. They need so to give him a I, place to go. Yeah, I think that exactly. They need to give him a place to go. Well, the I problem kinda... is that they're they're skipping ahead in in terms of power creep. Like Carol yeah. Danvers, Captain Marvel is way stronger than like Captain Marvel. Like the, there's there's levels of the comics where yeah. they were like, oh, this has to be stronger. This and then when the MCU was, they started pulling from stuff. And yeah. just grabbing stuff that was like way up ahead and then being like, oh, crap, uh, she's in space. That's why she's not here. She's in space because yeah. she's way too strong. She would crush everything. So Adam is – I do like the premise, though, of him being like kind of childlike yeah. and underdeveloped. And that is kind of like his foil to being super strong. I'm curious to see where they go with that. I do want to say really quick before I forget something that Caitlin said um, – I don't like the second Guardians, not because of the the setup that leads to a very satisfying conclusion in three, but because of how much it feels like it's 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 really like an Avengers spinoff. Like there's so much of it that is leading to the Infinity War stuff that I feel like it doesn't. Whereas like the first film and the second film are just like really fun space sci-fi uh comedy action comedies that just happen to also take place in the marvel universe with like marvel stuff like for me a big thing that really stands out about that is like the organic stuff the organic planets with oh, all that thing like stuff? that was so like deep lore cosmic like out there like nothing we've seen in the mcu all the aliens we've seen have been very mostly sanitized like Nothing that's really, truly, like, let's really expand our minds and think about what could be out there. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was when I was really like, oh, I, that's what gave me the, what the feeling I got watching the first movie 
was that like he's taking characters that a lot of people don't know that much about and so he's able to make it its own like really self-contained um like really thought out world um and i felt like this one took more advantage of that whereas like the second one was more of like we have to do mcu times the but, second one on i just want to counterpoint that the second one was more about setting up what parenthood meant from four characters perspective so that's mm -hmm. why it feels unbalanced and even a little bit with like the b store like the the A storyline is Quill and his two fathers. The B storyline is Rocket, understanding what where parenthood comes from, like the Rocket Quill and Rocket Yondu thing. And then C would be mm -hmm. in terms of the emotional character storyline is Nebula and uh, Gamora with the sisterhood thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have brothers, parents, and step parents. And so it's like when you take it as like a character study of one mm -hmm. of one familial concept throughout right. multiple characters it's kind of mm -hmm. like that and it loses the space adventure quality which i think mm -hmm. that people missed but unfortunately mm -hmm. like i feel like you needed that base in order to i like, agree yeah yeah it, it, the, you don't get the connection that we have even with nebula at the start of the film without you know what she went through in the second movie and yeah rocket's and whole thing like doesn't really make sense as much without his you know relation to peter and yondu and seeing that relationship and also i think that's why i think it's good that like nobody really died because we've already been dealing with death with them like it, death is like a cheap end to a character sometimes it makes mm -hmm. sense it feels good and it's a satisfying conclusion like yondu sacrificing himself but i think with this movie like just like kate said talking about all, like the the even if we don't have to see Drax be a dad, like because of how we've seen him go and change and like we also know getting to like. know him more. In a, right. Exactly. We can, we can see that. And like, and, and when that happened, I was like, like she was going to say, you should be Drax the dad or whatever she says. I knew she, what she was going to say. And in my heart, I was like, Oh, that's so good. Like that's such a good conclusion to that character. Um, yeah. I'm just, I am just, there's a lot of these MCU movies. I feel like don't always deliver on the endings. And I feel like this one like checked all of my boxes for a great like comic book ending. There is still set up for more stuff. The characters can do new things, but there is complete character arcs, things that have changed, like actual status quo change and resolutions. And oh, I just, I am really bummed that he, this is his last Guardians movie. I'm excited to see what he's going to do with DC, but I am also uh, apprehensive of like, the next person that takes over, you know, whatever Rocket Raccoon does. Can I move back to the comment? And I just, cause I want to really have a discussion about the Adam Warlock character uh, that Nate brought up. Um, my perspective is taking, well, let's take Adam Warlock from a different perspective entirely is we've been through these characters. I think Eric mentioned, like we've been through these like years and years of these characters. And so we kind of know them at different points of their evolution. And so these, they're the more mature not mature in character, but like they're on the, 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 we don't have a lot of the older Avengers characters or people who were in the war. We know these characters are some of the oldest of the MCU that we still have. And so I think we needed that kind of new, bright, powerful, but out of control quality that the first one had. So for me, Adam Warlock was bringing back that literal energy 
that James Gunn wrote in the first one where everyone was kind of like not overpowered, but just like they didn't have any focus. And it was like five people that were all that were not the Guardians yet that were all firing their stuff separately. And, and they're always in over their heads like very quickly. In yeah. And, films. and so you have Adam Warlock that takes all five of them, all five of that energy and just bashes people with it. And it's like, oh, that's what that first movie felt like. Oh, shit. Like, oh, right. You have this like, so it was like he was almost in a different movie on purpose. Because everyone's focused on, I need to save my friend. And then you have this fucking kid-like asshole going, but I'm supposed to be doing this. Which was what the theme of the first movie was about. I'm supposed to be this thing. I'm supposed to be a destroyer. I'm supposed to fight for Thanos. I'm supposed to be the Star-Lord. It's all about the presentation of something versus what they want to be or making a different choice because they feel like they can. And when Adam Warlock feels like he can make a different choice, he does. So... In a way, Adam Warlock represents to me what James Gunn was doing in the first movie, bringing in the themes from the second movie and concluding it in the third movie with having one singular goal for the Guardians that was always getting foiled by this fucking kid. <laughs> when I also thought Adam had maybe the funniest moment in possibly all three films, which is when he was torturing that guy and his torture consisted of frying him to a crisp. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was like one of those moments where I, I saw this with my boys and my 12 year old, I, I knew would love that. Like the second like he's doing it, I'm like, oh, I know where it's going to go. And the second he stops, the guy's smoldering, you see bones. And my 12 year old was like losing his mind because I was losing my mind because the 12 year old in me was finding that to be so brilliantly funny. And I think to your point, right, it's like Warlock comes in like a bat out of hell. Yeah. To the, and at first, I, and I think you're making a really nice point there, because at first I'm like, all right, this is a little much. But you're right, there is that sense of like chaos that was always a runner throughout the Guardians universe. So even like that part in the second one where they're arguing and then they crash. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's the Guardians. Like they're they're kind of like, you know, ramshackle. But it's and like unfortunately, we have a Guardians team that's like been through some shit and figured out and they're a team, like they're all they're all fixing the town together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and like I love that moment when when Mantis is like, Drax, you should dance. Dancing's for idiots. And then they're all right. dancing by the end. So they're still stuck in that. Rocket can't talk about his emotions. Quill can't talk about how much he's, he's uh, Mrs. Gamora. Drax doesn't want to dance because he doesn't want to look like a fool. But they're all fixing this town. And then this fucking missile just comes in. <laughs> like, hey, remember? Yeah. <laughs> remember what we used to do? <laughs> Boom. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do this again. I just yeah. want to snap. <laughs> no, I think it's a it, it's a very nice balance uh, that, uh, you know, it's a theme of really all of these movies that, you know, the realization that they're not just friends, they're not co-workers, that they really are each other's family. family. And in a lot of ways, they're the only family they have. And, you know, it's sort of like a nice wrinkle that Mantis is Quill's sister, you know, uh, because it's That's like, it's just, yeah, well, yeah. Okay, so I didn't watch the Christmas special. Yeah. How, no, that's what? from the second. That's from volume well, no, two. It's, a, it's a deleted scene from volume two. So, uh, so she tells Drax special. about it in a deleted scene from volume two. And then he she tells him in the in the Christmas special and the Christmas special. It's a little Christmassy, but it's actually very funny. It's it's a great vehicle for Drax and Mantis to get into some. Nonsense. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. watch it. So yeah. she's. <laughs> She's related to his well grandfather because ego no because ego ego fathered oh her. 
Yeah, we're, we're all and Kurt Russell. It, it, Let's it, just yeah. be honest. Oh, yeah. so she's Kurt Russell also got one around. Of the kids yeah. that he like. Yeah, got so to, when got he was because there's well, you know, I mean, there's that, all those at that point like you got a yeah. lot of half if that's the criteria. Well, no, because the rest of them are dead. We saw their skeletons. The rest of them died too. Yeah, because that's that's all of the skeletons and the bomber because he had a use. Because Ego had a use for her. She helped him sleep. Oh, I guess because she was there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he, right. She's the only okay. one until Quill came along. That I she completely missed all but, of that. But you also then missed the, the great Easter egg where it, the back of the newspaper, Kevin Bacon. Uh, the Kevin Bacon. No, I saw. Oh. I did see that. I did see that. I knew about the Kevin Bacon thing. So okay. I did. I did. I did get that part. What's uh, fun too <laughs> when you watch in the theater and you could hear who saw the christmas special yeah right exactly <laughs> right like, yeah, like a it's third like, of the audience that's laughed a reference very hard. to the, and the christmas other special are, yeah like, and the exactly. other two are like what what, what there are was, we missing the oh, second God. time i went there was one of those uh there it's like the person who's being a know-it-all but only because the person next to them had a lot of questions and i'm like all right i get it um but the, the other two characters that i, I wanted no to way home the, right. And when, the other two and characters. When, um, and when the the lawyer came out, and I was like, oh, and they're and he's like, why is it just a lawyer? I'm like, no, it's from the TV. You don't. Yeah. Never mind. It's Charlie Cox. You just get, <laughs> keep. But going. the other two characters I wanted to circle back to something that came up is the other two characters that are actually also family. I mean, adopted family, but still family. Uh, I wanted to ask you, Eric, your thought on the way that they were able and look the scenes in the trailer, but it, they talk about it. You know. They're in that elevator and it's really like this version of Nebula is a lot more like that version of Gamora. This version of Gamora is really a lot like that version of yeah, Nebula. Yeah, Talk yeah. a little bit about the way that James Gunn is able to over time juxtapose these two characters and what you thought about watching that play out. Well, I think with Nebula too, it's like, it's just kind of like an expansion, right? Cause Nebula started off as, you know, kind of a one note villain, and, and I think part of it, too, is realizing they have a really good performer under all that latex and, and makeup, you know. And, and so I think it was a matter of, like, with time. And I, I don't know if you saw, uh, saw uh, Jumanji, you know, the actresses in the second. Karen Jumanji? Gillan, uh, yeah, yeah who, who most of us know from Doctor Who first. But I know she was also in Jumanji. Yeah, yeah. And she's great in that, you know. And so clearly, like, there's more she could do if tasked upon. And. And I think, like, yeah, they made her just so much more interesting with each each time she's appeared, she's become much more of a present, yeah, much more of a presence within the Guardian. So I think it's a good use of her. And and yeah, it was a trailer moment, but um, her comedic timing's pretty great. I mean, and I think also too, Avengers Endgame, like her scenes with uh, Iron Man were yeah. the ones that was it was almost like her coming out party as a character. Yeah, her. You know, yeah, I mean, the movie like, starts with football. like basically, yeah, her and Tony trapped in space, you know, yeah. and uh, you're just like, yeah, eventually you're gonna have to develop a sense of humor, <laughs> you know, because you know, it, it, it is it's uh, Terminator Two, right? It's like uh, he learns uh, how to be yeah. more human from the humans, and so did she. Uh, and so I think her journey over the course of multiple films definitely like you could feel it, and it tracks nicely, and then it pays off quite well here. I mean, I think. Yeah, they're the, her and Peter Quill getting it on, uh, maybe down the road, but I'm glad they didn't do it here. I mean, I want to know what she can do with that arm. That's all I'm saying. Um, 
All right, so there, I wasn't the only version one of this movie uh, that currently is on what the dark web. That thing now. You, sorry, you mean the uh, the the knockoff version that's currently in production at Vivid Entertainment, which I believe is uh, apparently not subject to the writer's strike. Go figure. Um, our friend in the chat, Craig Robinson from across the pond, uh, wanted to know what we thought about the uh, the inclusion of the Nathan Fillion character. I thought it, it was funny. I liked the the kind of the gag of it. Yeah, I got one of those guys too. It didn't distract me from it. I, I thought that, uh, it, look, in a different movie, like an, a different MCU movie, you would have been like, all right, I don't know about that. I think he fit in really well in a Guardians movie. And, you know, it's n- not like he got that much screen time. You know, I, I think that he had like really two scenes that featured him. Um, but uh, I want to know what the three of you think. Uh, are, are you agreeing with Craig that maybe it was a bit over the top? I'll ask you first, Nate, what you thought of Nathan Fillion's character. You're muted again. You got the Don't little. tell him. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> we could have all just sat there and nodded. Everybody mm-hmm. just smile and nod. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's um, bullshit. Nate's making more for... sense than me this week. <laughs> For a, for a cameo, I did feel like it was a little long. However, I, I do agree that I thought the bit was funny. Um, I don't know, like cameo. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I at a certain point, cameo, it's, not any, yeah. it's not anymore. When yeah, there's, a, there, there's I, a cameo, and then there's a cameo plus. You know, this cameo. is definitely a cameo plus. Like, there's a yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a, a cameo that they Look, charge fifty dollars for, the and then there's a thousand dollar cameo. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was funny. Though. I like Nathan Fillion. Yeah, it. I, I agree with you that it fits. Um, uh, I don't know if thematically is the right word, but vibe-wise, it fits the vibe of the movie for sure. Um, especially yeah. being the last. I know that he and Gunn are friends, and that he's been in every Guardians movie. Yes, he has. Um, so to me, it makes sense to make his role a little bit bigger, and with you can actually see his face in the last one. Um, yeah. That whole, that whole sequence, I was just losing it at the organic stuff, like them cutting into the wall and the eyes and like everything. I was just like, I was grossed out and also fascinated and also it was hilarious and I was so overwhelmed. I need, I need, I've only seen it once. I need to watch some of it again. Like the thing, all the spores and stuff on their body. I don't know, but I thought it was good. I liked, I, I liked the cameo of his wife even better. Yeah, I thought that it's very funny that she gets shot in the leg. So she's able to kind of react the way that, uh, you know, we're very comfortable seeing her at at that level of anger uh, when we see her in the the DC universe. Uh, Yeah, no. And I thought that, you know, the the woman that Peter tries to sweet talk, I thought that the casting of all these funny, weird, silly little characters, including the guy who looks like right. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's the same as Ratcatcher too. Same as Ratcatcher, including the 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 nonverbal performance from the guy who looks like a carrot, who I believe that's actually a female in that prosthetic. Uh, Just the funny gag of like, let's kill that guy who looks like a carrot. You know, it's just you know these little moments, even by themselves, don't work in other movies. But I think in Guardians movies, they're hopelessly uh, in love with Drax. (laughs) Right. Oh yeah. Well, I love that moment because Drax is like. 
every time. And Mantis is just like, you know, exactly. Just so excited. Um, uh, before we, we get to our, uh, our last round of, uh, you know, what, what we're thinking, I do want to highlight, and I always have so much trouble saying uh, Chuck Woody, Awuji's name. He was also great in Peacemaker, just a completely different performance Character. in this as high evolutionary ghost 83, 86 points out that he described high evolutionary as narcissistic, sociopathic, but very charming. I think he's got moments where he's charming. You can see how people follow him, but even to the point where his own people are like, you know, this guy's literally killing us. We're going to have to step up and try and beat him. And I think it's very tough to have that level of performance where you're that kind of crazy character, but also like Adam Warlock, they were very smart in notching down his abilities because, you know, you have it all be about the technology because he's too powerful. The high evolution from the comics could have defeated all of the Guardians and all the Avengers, you know, very fairly easily. Uh, what were you going to say about this, Kate? I don't know that people followed him. I'm not. Think they were just, well, they were scared of him. I mean, they didn't run away. Well, know? will you let me finish my thought? Him. Sure. Thank you. Um, there's a scene that they went before the scene with Rocket when it's like, how did you know? The how did you know scene, which is arguably the best written scene in the in the whole movie. That and the the death of Lila. But before that, there's a little line that people could miss of he was in the middle of his treatments. So it's like the two people on his side were mostly his handlers that had to turn against him. And almost try to put him down. Yeah. And then Lila has a line of, there are the hands that made us, and then there are the hands that guide the hands. So I'm not entirely convinced that the high evolutionary was the last rung of the tier. That he was the figurehead. And he was brilliant. But it was like there were people around him kind of keeping him in check. Because it wasn't like he was getting facial treatments because Rocket hadn't scratched his face yet. At that right. point. And then the the amount of that obsessive insanity. And I got to give it up, props to him. Because to do that scene crouched. So he's eye level with what would have been Rocket. When Rocket wasn't really there. And to do the entire scene almost like coiled up. With the like how did you know. Like he becomes very feral. And as opposed to juxtaposed against what we know of the two Kangs that we've seen or the five Kangs that we've seen at this point. Um, if you include the deleted scene, but to, to have a character that is that emotionally driven and grounded, but a little bit off kilter um, obsessively. So the performance was incredible. And I think that's why we needed Nathan Fillion. That's why we needed Orgo Corp so badly. <laughs> like we needed like the bureaucratic, like no one really wants to be there. And people are just right. like, I just want to do like clock in and clock out type of environment, which Nathan Fillion is very good at performing. And that's why he was in the movie for so long, because we have this freaking insanity <laughs> that is like the insanity that the, the one of the best villains Marvel has created so far. But it's also like you needed that juxtaposition of the obstacle being slightly horrible word to say but it's the only word boring in comparison like mundane in comparison to this craziness so you 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 have like when do you look at the macro as a whole you look at the macro story and the macro characters if you have like 
an evil obstacle and an insane villain, it's too much of the same tonality. Um, so you can have a little bit of variance to make your insane villain more scary in comparison to this corporation. That's all I was going to say. Is right, I think that I think Nathan Fillion always... had a purpose in the macro, and that's why he was there for so long, as opposed to just like, here's a cameo, goodbye. Right, and I think it's uh, it's always, you need it to be more nuanced than, you know, have the stage direction above the dialogue, parentheses, act crazy, yeah. uh, because there's so much more to Don't it. Don't do that, writers. That, that's a great that. moment, though, that you're talking about, where they point out, you know, he's in the middle of his treatments. So that also explains why they don't just, you know, toss him in the fireplace immediately. You know, the idea, yeah. it's like, yeah, 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 we'll kill him tomorrow. Is he uh, one? But, Is he experiment one? Is he group one? Right. And uh, yeah, uh, let's uh, uh, spend a moment uh, on on the evolutionary, though, uh, Eric. I wanted to get your thoughts on the high evolutionary and uh, how you know, uh, apart from not giving us his uh, his purple and bright pink uh, armor from the comics. Uh, other than that, I think that the the choices made for translating him on screen, I thought were great. You, you talked before about like the fact that a lot of that was practical, like makeup and yeah. latex. And, and I thought that was a great choice. You know, like the fact that his face is really not even his face. Yeah. You know, that it's just a mask. And I, I don't know if you guys saw James Gunn posted a picture of the actor playing with a dog. And, yeah. <laughs> and I in some ways, that. I wonder if like he's like, hey, James, you mind, you know, I like animals. Do you mind just letting the world know? So. People don't hate me on the street when they see me. Um, and it was such a cute picture. It was like the set dog, you know. Uh, but I, I think it was a great character in that, like, we understood him. He was diabolical, but yet there was, a again, a logic to him. And then we also see, you know, his own... He had, like, his own medical issues that he was working on. So he actually had a bit of skin in the game, no pun intended. And then, of course, when Rocket, <laughs> like, rips him to shreds, yeah, I thought that was actually a really intense moment, like legitimately intense, where we see like Rocket basically become Rocket. It's like Rocket basically is having its Wolverine moment. Well, and, yeah, and to to the point yeah. that High Evolutionary yeah. was trying to like make these other creatures, you know, like you, where you know you're not so angry, but then like let's not forget that you know you can push anything and and look what happens to to rocket so i thought that uh it was a nice balance uh ghost 8386 had put a couple of these these lines from high evolutionary that i wanted to uh have in here before i talk to you about high evolutionary nate uh it was this moment to his conversation with star lord i'm not trying to conquer the universe i'm perfecting it and there was another moment that he says to you know one of his minions uh there is no god that's why I stepped in. Uh, so, uh, you know, this uh, seems like uh, someone that, uh, you know, m might have a, a little bit of an inflated uh, opinion of themselves. But uh, what did you think about sort of, you know, this this big threat uh, in this movie? You know, I mean, uh, how how they basically have him trying to remake the universe. Nate. Yeah. Um. I, I liked it, I, especially from the aspect of the kind of intergalactic space setting. Um, it's cool, this idea that he has been out there for a while and has made whole civilizations and stuff that just exist, like like the uh, Sovereign. Like, that's a thing that he just did, and they're just out there. Um, he's definitely not on the level of, like, Killmonger, of, like, wow, I think 
he might be kind of right just doing things wrong like he had intentions for sure i don't like i don't I don't know if I really ever sympathize with him just because to say that, like, I'm not trying to conquer, I'm just trying to perfect it. But that's like who decides what's perfect, you know, like what yeah. by whose standards. Um, I think the performance was incredible. Um, and a lot of the like fight sequences were cool. I do think they they did a good job of of powering him down. So he was able to be you know in exist in that world uh yeah. in a way that made sense um but still was strong enough to be like a threat my the one complaint i do have is the whole like his people turning on him thing i feel like it was just kind of under uh underbaked like it just didn't feel like it was something that was the moving was leading towards it just kind of like happened that he was getting mad and they were like actually you know what we're not gonna follow you anymore but like i just find it hard to believe that the high evolutionary who put a a, a kill switch in rocket which is the whole point of this movie doesn't have any type of fail safe for his staff to follow him and do what he says like that part to me just seemed kind of like hand wavy um i would have much rather seen like you know, I, what I thought was as soon as I saw Adam in the beginning of the movie, I thought, okay, they're going to somehow get Adam to help them kick the crap out of High Evolutionary because he's like really strong, stronger than any of the Guardians. And sure, that's yeah. not, I mean, not that's not what happened, but kind of, but not really. Um, so I I, that I, that's what I was good. No, go for it. I was just going to say that's what I was expecting. And so, like, them kind of turning on him kind of i don't know it just it it that it really is not the decision well. yeah i, I feel yeah, like if that is what the decision you're going to make there could have been moments in this two hour 45 minute movie where one guy could be like i'm just really getting tired of this high evolutionary <laughs> stuff you know like maybe we should unionize or something like that there's like yeah. there isn't really any of that um and so for me it kind of came out of nowhere but Again, having everybody leave and the ship, like, in the grander scheme of the story, I'm not complaining. I like that it left us with just him and Rocket on the ship to have that confrontation. That was really cool. Um, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm just to finish on, sure. on that thought before yeah. uh, I, I let Kate jump in, it, it's the idea that you guys are around him all the time. You should know that pointing a gun at his head and saying, I'm taking command yeah. is actually not going to work. You know, it's, it, I agree from a story point, it's not well thought out. And from a character point, you should all know better. What were you going to say, Kate? Um, the reason why they did that is very specific and it's specific to what the high evolutionary represents and what rocket represents. So it's character thematics. And I think, um, Eric, as a as a screen as a writer and as a teacher, um, you can also jump in on this if you feel like I'm not uh, saying it properly. But the whole point of the high evolutionary trying to create the perfect being, which is why he created the sovereigns in the first place, was strength and and visual perfection. Um, he knew what Adam was capable of. He knew what the sovereigns were capable of. So having Adam turn and defeat the high evolutionary with brute strength wasn't wasn't the thing because that would have fit into the high evolutionary's thematic um, tone. The reason why Rocket is different than any other creature that has been created is because he was creative. It was innovative. 
and it couldn't think on the fly and come up with different things. It wasn't learning by rote. It wasn't memorizing. He was his own creature that could invent things. And so the way to defeat somebody who is strength and this is what perfection looks like is to be to, is to outsmart him and be more creative than he could even think of because he wouldn't think of all of the ways to get out of it. He wouldn't think of jumping out of a thousand feet and surviving that way. He wouldn't think of doing all of these things that the guardians do. The guardians don't win because they're strong. They win because they're creative. And so it was the two thematic elements of like, what are the values? And one is supported by family and one is not. So that's why I think that the care, the, the, the team ups didn't happen the way they did. They did and how they defeated the high evolutionary happened the way that it did. So all of the people who I still think are his handlers, and I don't think it was like kill switch. I think they were all like monitoring him for whoever's above the high evolutionary suddenly right. being like, we have to put this experiment down. This is getting out of hand. Doing it with strength was never going to work. I've got uh, two more I, things I want to yeah. touch on before we wrap up. And I'm sorry, Nate, uh, go ahead. I didn't realize you no, wanted I, I, yeah. I think like that makes a lot of sense um, yeah. in terms of like the strength thing. And that probably would have felt really cheap if they did that. Um, I get the creativity thing. He's the first thing that had an original thought. And, and that was like what he couldn't understand the whole like why you gotcha. All that stuff I get. I did right. not feel like that. Uh, Rocket's creativity inspired the crew to mutiny or that if there was a larger force that was in control overhead, it didn't get any type of indication that there was that they, you know, in the earpiece. All right. Okay. Now we're turning on him. You know, it's it, in the, in from what was presented, it seemed like it was wasn't a like a Palpatine like, moment. I get you. Right. Exactly. It seemed, it seemed like, you know, stuff's blowing up. They're like, all right, this dude, he's really, you know, the animal torture was one thing, but the ship blowing up, this is, this is too much. That's fair. Um, that, that's all. But the, no, the strength thing makes a lot of sense. And Eric, that would have been really some... cheap for him to like come back and just knock him out like that. Right. Get you. Yeah. Eric, did you have something on that you wanted to chime in with? Yeah. Well, I, I think one maybe issue in the sort of the plot mechanics of this one the sort of stitching when you have a bunch of different villains or antagonists, I should say, maybe not use the word villain so much. I feel like you got to sort of figure out how they all kind of connect and like all these questions of like who outranks who I, I think they could have done a bit better work with like how, you know, the, the high evolutionaries like plan, how Warlock figured into it, how I, you know, I'm so I just like Warlock's uh, mom's name. Uh, the they high, I think Mother. they just call her high priestess, right? High priestess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think you know, like, I'm it's interesting. I was thinking about kind of like the Star Wars mechanics that I think does it did it pretty well in the original New Hope, even in Rogue One. The idea of like who outranks who, who answers to who, and and how it all sort of fits together because that that part of the plot was a little soft. I thought the how Warlock fit into this plan. Like we can sure. all opine about that for a while, but in the end of it all, that might have been where some of the stitching of the storytelling could have been a bit tighter. That all being said, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see more of Warlock. I think they set him up well. I think they could Agreed. have used him to maybe a little bit better yeah. effect, but the casting is great. Uh, the idea of he's kind of like a man child is fun. It's kind of like <laughs> you know, it's like group basically, except with you know a nicer accent. 
with all the peace and love to Vin Diesel's lovely uh, tenor. Peace and love. <laughs> peace and I love. love. He's guys. like a mix of like Groot and Drax because he's like yeah, so yeah, yeah, crazy totally. strong. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, almost I like, like their kid with a little bit of gold paint would have been Warlock. I think that's... We, we will uh, wrap up this part of our conversation in a moment and I know Nate has to go in a couple minutes. So uh, I'm going to yeah. ask all of you a show of hands. I know the correct answer. I found this out while we were having our first conversation. W- Excuse me. <laughs> I want to know at- what everybody thinks. Uh, There's a glitch in the matrix. Meant when, when Groot said, I love you guys. Raise oh. your hand if you think he actually said that. Or raise your hand if you think that we are all we part hear. of the family now. And we understand him for the first time in that moment, just yep. like Gamora did. Yep. That second one is the answer that uh, James Gunn gave. He yep. said, it's a bit of a spoiler, but yes, that's what it means. So that's why they didn't react to it, because that was a conversation I had with my wife when I saw it the second time. She's like, they didn't say anything. Because I was like, well, they always understand they him. Always so understand way. But now we understand him so that. I think that's the great way to set it up because in the future, when we have the character, he's still going to say, I am Groot. You know, uh, I I think that. uh, Or Vin Diesel's going to come and voice a whole character and Groot's going to have like a whole deep. Yeah. He's going to talk about family a shit ton. Yeah. He's he's got like little, he's got little saplings. Yeah. Yeah. I think they should have doubled down on it during the the mid credit scene when Groot wakes up. I should, I think like a grunt or like a fine. I think like that would have been a good way to like connect the two scenes together of like, okay, we're all in the family now. And not only do we understand, but the gu- we can hear what the guardians here. I am so, the very that was definitely a thing because, what he should have said. because like, you see that happen. You're thinking like, Oh, what happened? That's crazy. And then movie yeah. ends, credits are roll. You get that mid scene. And then he's like, Groot. and then he's like, I am Groot. And then you go, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, he, did he forget well, how to talk? I, Do I not understand him anymore? He didn't say anything in the mid-credits. Moment. Did he not? Did he no. just grunt? I he just, he just rolled over yeah. and stood up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's it's Mumbles and Dick Tracy. Let's lest we forget one of the great old school <laughs> the great the greatest comic what, a- adaptation right. of our lifetime. Is, Probably, uh, and then one moment when suddenly Mumbles could speak very clearly. It just yeah. uh, he just needed yeah. the right or, situation. Or how once a movie, Silent Bob actually speaks. Uh, on that note, Nate, I know we need to let you go. Uh, please let people know where they can keep in touch with you and continue the conversation about Guardians or anything else that's going on these days. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, uh, Dogleg Nate with two Gs. Thank you guys for having me. It's great Thank to you, see Nate. you guys, chat with you again. Yes, it was an awesome course. movie. I'm glad I got to talk about it with you guys. Uh, Absolutely. Always happy to have you on and uh, looking forward to talking to you again oh. soon. And uh, thank you to uh, our pal Nate and uh, James Love Gunn Nate. confirmed the audience can understand Groot now, uh, Dominica Saxon pointed out. Yes, that that was my point. Uh, I have uh, one last thing for you, but uh, I thought that uh, this was interesting. Uh, Craig Robinson, do you think he seated and left like ego then? I got the feeling he was looking to set up and stay on the planet until he got fed up and moved on a, a follow-up thought on the high evolutionary dominica saxon i wonder how many test planets the high evolutionary made and then forgot to go back and check on i'm gonna think a lot there's probably there's like several counter earths that uh you know he just didn't uh think to uh check on and yeah. uh, ghost 8386 uh we always appreciate anybody who checks on our footnotes 
So Ayesha was the golden high priestess of the sovereign, a race created by the high evolutionary. So yeah, I I I should remember that because I worked on that movie, but in the, in the second one though, they just call her high priestess all the time. So, you know, uh, but uh, I wanted to, uh, it being a guardians movie, it being a James Gunn movie. I wanted to take a moment and ask each of you if there are any musical moments that really stood out because he does use the musical cues so well. He has such great soundtracks. It is the opposite of Thor Love and Thunder using the four most basic Guns N' Roses songs that everybody knows and everybody's heard. Nicely done, Taika Waititi. Uh, That's the most uh, basic paint by numbers. uh, Be fair, that might not have been Taika's decision. That's true. To be fair, it might not have been, but uh, he should have uh, been able to chime in and be like, how about like one song from Motley Crue or something? But I'll ask you first, Eric, were there a musical? Was there a musical moment, whether it was a song that was in the trailer or not? uh, Was there anything? I feel like there might be something because I can see your on screen description that might betray what uh, what musical moment stood out for you? It, it did. I, I, I led with that. I didn't bury the lead. Uh, Space Hogs, in the meantime, one of my absolute favorite songs from the 90s. But then he also, you know, what's fun is he could jump around a bit in decades. Uh, we got a great callback to Come and Get Your Love, which I thought was perfect. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, no Sleep Till Brooklyn was one that didn't quite as land as, as well as I would hope, considering how much I love that song. But then mm-hmm. do you realize by the flaming lips kicks on and I'm like, yes, thank you. Uh, you know, I felt seen and I felt heard. And then last, uh, th- this is the day by the, the, uh, yes. yeah. that is a great deep track from the eighties. So that popping up, you know, again, it was like, that's definitely one of the ones on my phone and on my computer. I've played a lot over the years. So the fact that I'm seeing that in a, this movie specifically, just, uh, it felt just right. Right. And uh, I, I point to uh, the fact that they used a, a deep album cut from Alice Cooper, Cooper which is the song that, yeah, anybody who knows me knows that I was going to say that one. And obviously I, I said it when we talked about this earlier, but that's the song that Gamora turns up on the ship. And I'm just, it's I'm always chasing rainbows. And I'm like, wow, that's that's quite a choice. And uh, he's always very good at uh, mm-hmm. you know thinking of the songs that uh, aren't necessarily you know, the, the ones that you think of, but uh, you know, the, the one that starts off the trailer is sort of a late era rainbow uh, since you've been gone, which it's like not, yeah. the, you know, so uh, it's, I think that the music is all very well done. I've heard, I've heard some similar reactions to uh, no sleep till Brooklyn. I might be a little tired of that song. It was a good moment. I try to think about it in relation to the way that, uh, you know, big fight scenes were used in earlier guardians movies. Yeah. But it's true. It wasn't my favorite. What about you, Kate? What were some uh, musical moments that stand out for you? Um, I liked hearing um, the diegesis of the music in Creep. Um, yeah. Diegetic music for uh, non-film or music people is when the characters know that the song is playing and they sing along to the song. So yeah, hearing which, when wh- Rocket would um, sing and yeah. what lyrics connected to Rocket, yeah. which would because that is the, the most we get out of Rocket before he goes under really for a while. And the yeah. tone um, that set up too. The I tone mean, like, set up. Yeah, it was very yeah, different I mean, tone. It was the first time we didn't have a fight wow. scene and, open a movie, and it, or it's like, very, like a big. 
it's very clearly too it's like this slower acoustic version of creep it's not the one that was the hit single and uh you know it's not something i thought about until i went back and rewatched the first two guardians movies but rocket is the one who we see in all these movies he is the one who is often singing along there's not there are times where star lord does it but rocket does it the most rocket sings the most but he's always it's always low it's not like to anything um, I liked the no sleep till Brooklyn number. Something I just want to mention very briefly before I finish the question is James Gunn pulled out a lot of different filmmaking tactics to emphasize certain points and the no sleep till Brooklyn one shot fight um, and using the music and almost like a video game, like slow-mo fast mo kill quality to it was really, really cool. So I think that the music along with how he filmed it, um, was really, really nice. And it was a good way to pass the fight from member to member. So while yeah. the music choice might have been basic on its own, it, the the use of it in the filmmaking style was really, really cool. Um, as was like when he decided to go erratic and when he decided to like play in the wide and be smooth. So props on the James Gunn and the DP and everyone in the camera department for pulling that off. And the editing team, they're all great. But I don't know a single person in my generation that doesn't have the dog days are over somewhere in there i need to like jump up and down and like get all of the like bad energy out of me playlist what you're saying kate is that you all have it in your zune we it's, all have it in. i have it right it in there at zune. the top you you click they the grabbed, dial to 2000s and you're like yeah they grabbed and, uh, my playlist from when i was 25 and very sad and then <laughs> just like play and played that song so like I, like when he moved the thing, you're like, what song is he going to pick? Because it's his choice now. And the fact that he did pick the dog days are over, which is a song that I think resonates with a lot of, of people um, just in like the, the unabashed joy of it, but also thematically and story-wise it's like, it's over. Like it's the, the guardians are over for right now. This, this version of the story is over. My story is over in terms of like the thing that I had to move on from. Um, and then just, we're going to all jump around and dance. And like he starts dancing with Groot and then Drax starts dancing and the Nebula starts. He does. She doesn't dance, but she sways and she starts laughing. But like it, it gets everybody like like a, a wave involved. And so I think the effect of that song was probably the most useful. It was creep in the beginning and dog days at the end. And, also, right. and, and just uh, just to chime in on that specifically, uh, is this uh, from the Hollywood Reporter? I'd read this earlier. The uh, the singer, uh, the yeah. front person oh, yeah. for Florence and the Machine. Uh, Florence Welch was literally in tears. Couldn't believe that that was how the movie ended. Uh, yeah. And uh, I thought that, uh, you know, when you can actually have that kind of reaction by yeah. the person who wrote and sang the song, uh, I think it's a, it's a nice touch. And uh, I also think that it was great usage of that song. And it is when we finally see Drax dance. And I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Eric? No, I was just going to say, like, Florence and the Machine, uh, it, it's also one that sort of connects a lot of generations. Like, I feel like, yeah, you know, I, I, I know Kate and I might look the same age, but we're not, uh, you know, so my generation, which is closer to old man Christians, you know, like, that's something that I think it, it's kind of like Adele, like, it just goes beyond, well, yeah, yeah, but this is our kids' toys, you know. Let's not, let's not pretend. I don't think they're your kids' toys. I think you bought them for they're, you, but your kids—they're not anymore. Ixnay uh, on the ooze tray, please. I'm uh, I, I, a little spoiler alert. Uh, later this evening, I'll be buying two more McDonald's Happy Meals, and uh, I'll be making oh, got, sure that yeah, I, I get different toys. Yeah, I, I make sure I, that I get different toys. We already have a Mantis from the uh, Love and Thunder tie-in. I want uh, a Eric, I, billion. Oh, oh wow. 
Yeah. I don't uh, think they made hits, though. Eric, my impression is that I believe you yeah. need to go. We're all going to go in a moment, yep. but you need to go this minute. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pick up let's uh, get our, of, let's get our plugs one of the men in. whose toys I have. Starting get your plug off, in, Chris. Where, Eric. where the people of Burbank can find you in the very near future, Eric. <laughs> Start with the most important plug that we have. You can find me at so many places, including Milton Eadie's Dry Cleaners with the good popcorn <laughs> and the coffee. But if you want to see... We bring every ounce and pound of my old man Jewishness to the stage. Well, do I have a treat for you? Uh, I am playing Mr. Mushnick in Little Shop of Horrors next weekend. Conundrum Theater Co. is the website. Theater spelled R-E because, you know, we're fancy folk up here in Citra. Burbank. Theatry. So, Theatry. Uh, yeah, if you can make it out, if you want to schlep over to Burbank, uh, do some singing and dancing, actually. <laughs> and, and thank God. If, I don't if, do you come on if you come on Friday night, you will see me. So. Oh, oh cool. and in fact, I discovered <laughs> as I go closer, I actually found out that this is a very valuable, uh, not bobblehead, what is it? The Tokyo Pop. Like this apparently, like you can't. Oh, Audrey too? Funko Pop, yeah. You can't, yeah. apparently this is like worth more than anyone in this house. Uh, and, and I won't tell you where I live so you don't come and no, steal no. The, my I, I know where I know where you live, so I'll be there to get problem. that uh, sometime over the weekend. Uh, and yes, of course, uh, at yes. Count Eric Connor is where people can continue the conversation. Of course. Uh, yeah. And uh, I just uh, want to leave Eric with these two things. Uh, Dominicus Saxon has the theory, we're probably, probably a counter-Earth, counter all of us right now, read into that what you will. And I didn't want Eric to miss this comment from uh, Craig Robinson. <laughs> Takes me back to the Planet of the Apes musical number in The Simpsons. Oh my God, I was wrong. It was counter-Earth all along. Yes, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. What, the, I hate every chimp I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Might Absolutely. be the single greatest joke in the history of the universe or any Agreed. universe. Agreed. So, I am yes, not here. Always Troy McClure in my heart. Except for good dog, here. bad dog. Cosmo's good dog, bad dog. That was pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah. And they get it. They get a next level actor to play Cosmo too. You know, an Oscar nominee who yeah. she was fabulous. Perfect voice for that role. Fantastic. Too. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, the Faith No More We Care a lot was also a very nice moment. Uh, that that would have worked well in a fight scene had they chosen to use it. Ghost eighty three eighty six. Uh, and uh, Caitlin, I want to make sure you let everybody know where they mm. can find your film, especially if they also very, very local plugs for people uh, this uh, for next weekend. Yeah. Really, yeah. Uh, next where they can see it. Yeah. So, so go ahead. uncanny. Yeah. I, mean, I got an uncanny film, uncanny and X-Men fan film uh, about Rogue and Gambit after Rogue 1995. Um, premieres at well, not premieres. It's already come out, but it's in Geek Fest, and it is showing next Sunday at Ontario uh, in Ontario, California, at the Comic Con Revolution. So I'll be there, um, and most people will probably be there, like me, going to the Avatar: Last Airbender panel. But you can also on Sunday see my movie and vote for it and vote that it's a good movie, or you can just stay home and say hi to me and be like, "Yeah, your film's fine." Yes, I will be there. I will be there, and I've seen the film. I enjoyed it, as uh, as I've said before. And uh, I will enjoy seeing you at Comic-Con Revolution. Yeah. Oh, it's shit. next so, yeah, Sunday, the 21st, at 1.30 in room 106. Yeah, yeah. but uh, Eric's going to be too busy it's with okay, Audrey, man. too. I know. It's Sorry. Uh, I would, I, I'll I put totally, your vote right totally in my go. heart. Care, I would Eric. totally go to Ontario for that. That'd be awesome. I'm sorry I'm missing it. but I'm literally going for the Avatar. 
I won't. I don't. I'm probably going to be the know. last Airbender fan. Go to, Ontario, go to Ontario. Damn it! Screw the Airbenders. Right. <laughs> they, don't they don't want you. They don't like you. All right. She likes you. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Eric go and uh, Kate. I believe you uh, needed to duck out as well. Uh, I'm and, and, I'm up for whatever. All right. Well, I'm gonna let people know that uh, this is not our final conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, uh, but uh, it might be the last one that Ghost eighty three eighty six wants to tune into. It might be <laughs> the only one because we had our pal Jeff Williams uh, last week, along with David Brody. And uh, we just had this one with some of our Marvel Movie Talk regulars. Next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, we will be doing a panel with myself. And let's see. Jeff Duray from the Black Cast. Okay. Uh, Gail Teagle of uh, After Buzz TV, Fanversation, and a bunch of other places. And uh, the triumphant return of our old friend, Zia Anderson will be with us talking about this movie. Yay, and I know, Ghost, you're Zia. not a fan. So uh, we'll be excited to see Zia uh, for uh, for the first time uh, since she has uh, been very public about how she had some work done. So uh, take take a look and you'll see uh, what uh, what Zia has been up to. And uh, very excited to have that conversation uh, yeah. next Wednesday. And uh, you'll be able to find it then. And our Marvel movie talk will continue very soon because we do have Into the Spider-Verse coming up in just a few short weeks and then Secret Invasion. So uh, it's uh, been a little bit of a drip, 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 but uh, we're starting to gear up with some more Marvel content. Thank you uh, to everyone who is uh, excited and all the messages I get from people who want to know, even if you're not in the live chat today, we appreciate it. But yeah. uh, Daniel Drew was off to go see it in uh, IMAX uh, with a friend. So, uh, you know, I think seeing Guardians 3 versus sitting and wa talking, watching us talk about it, I, yeah. I think it's all all right. Also, but this is one of the first few movies, like I would actually, if you want to see it in 3D, I would do it. Yeah, I, I was uh, like saying before before we started that my favorite way to see a movie is IMAX 2D. Uh, I would imagine the 3D is good in this. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that uh, a lot of those sequences are probably going to look good. And, you know, depends on how long it stays in the, the IMAX 3D theater because we've got a lot of big stuff coming out. Uh, yeah. I agree. I think it might be worth uh, checking out. But uh, in the, I was in a, not in IMAX, but the tickets I got worth. 3d the second time and when you go through space it really does they're real the, the layering of the 3d is really really good oh, cool. and it doesn't feel like it's coming at you it feels like you're going through right which so is like the I way it, it's so cool so getting you, immersed by the 3d is more fun than sort of the old style where it's like they're yeah. like you know poking things there are you. some moments i do have to say yes it is and 3d uh, well yeah ivan soto asks is 3d even a thing anymore and it is but talk to james cameron you know, yeah, it's a, if 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 it wasn't still a thing, we wouldn't be getting four more Avatar movies. But yeah. I know what you're saying. Look, it's not for everybody, and that's the thing. A movie should work if you see it in 2D or 3D on IMAX or on a premium screen, uh, and you know, see it in the theater. Uh, but even shots. if you watch it at home, it should also still work if it's a good movie. There are two what shots where 3D makes you a little dizzy, which is oh. when the camera turns 360. Oh, I um, yeah, I can see yeah. that. Yeah, so. Um, uh, but it, but then you're dizzy and you're like the character because the character's slipping five different ways. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want that immersive experience, it works. But if you just want it to be like, I just want to go frontwards and backwards and that's fine by me. Um, 
just be careful when you see it in 3D because there are some shots where if you haven't seen the movie yet, I hope you have because sorry, spoilers. Yeah, or those, the camera spins. for an hour and a half. You better have seen it. What are you doing? <laughs> Although Dominica Saxon is the one who used to watch our reaction shows before he would decide if he wanted to see a movie. So he did. Some people don't mind the spoilers. It helps them decide if they want to see it. But I feel like all of you have. But we will see you next Wednesday for more Guardians Talk. Uh, until then, I rocket pop. I mean, they, you know, look, I, I might end up with a, with another one tonight, so I'll, I'll let you know if that's what happens, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. And look, some McDonald's, you can just walk in and say, can I buy the rocket toy? And usually they'll be like, yeah, it's three bucks or whatever. You don't no. actually have to buy. Yeah. Uh, yeah the, uh, I don't want fries. Well, yeah, I, I just I, I just want, want the prize. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but in any case, uh, that is all the time we have for now. We will see you next time on the Black Cast. Run for your mother, to the Bladcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Bladcast. That's B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. You can also subscribe to the audio version wherever podcasts are found. Like The Bladcast on Facebook, follow at Bladcast on Twitter and Instagram, and of course, the man responsible for what you just heard is on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. I'm Farad Muhammad, and if you want me to voice your podcast intro, you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at F-A-R-D- M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. We will see you next time on the Bladcast. Well, this has been the Bladcast. I am your host. (laughs) You can find me at Christian DMZ. The Bladcast. Welcome to the stream. Who are you? One of the best podcasts you can ever see. The Bladcast. Whoop-dee-doo. We're watching it. We got no Wi-Fi. We can't hear a thing, but we love it. Go watch the Bladcast with me and Carl. I don't remember. Christian Blad. Are you ready to play? To catch? An alien? Christian? That's me. <laughs> Who I've never heard <laughs> hey. of before? Good luck with the whole thing. And, you know, here's to another 500. Get you to 1,000, you know, which is more than 500. Last time I said. One of Christian Blatt's favorite people in here to talk to one of his other favorite people. Hello, fellow favorite person of Christian Blatt. How are you? Hi, other fellow <laughs> favorite person of Christian Blatt. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We're closed. Goodbye. <laughs>